happier place to be. I won't cry miracle. Maple syrup is the best. It's so yeah. good. Just be present with me and love me. I won't cry wow. 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 When they started doing this weird hello. history of humankind has been the history of progressive atomization um, and has come to a crescendo in the 20th and 21st century. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grand America Show. We are going to be chatting with Michael Ronan a little bit later about his book, Modern Masculinity, I believe it was called. Yeah, for the conscious man, making sense in troubled times. Kind of reminded me of the tagline from Man Transcending that we kind of started a few years ago. That What was the tagline? I don't know. It was something like trouble, making sense in troubled times. It really reminds me of It was of manhood that. in the digital age. Was it? Okay. Yeah. Maybe that was like one of our, or it was close to one of our approximate titles. It's still going. Yep. Adam 13 questions. Yeah. That sort of evolved into 13 questions. It's, uh, this is a good chat with Michael. It's yeah, interesting, though, because it went by so fast. I feel like we almost missed um, uh, some of the masculinity parts. Like, I feel like we, so, the, his book is so dense. That there's so much in there that, uh, you know, I feel like uh, it just went by so fast. I feel like we've, we, we skipped over some of the real points of masculinity, but it's, it's, it's a good book. I got some quotes from it later. You should have steered us into those things, buddy. You read the book. That's I know. I tried. Well, I, I, you know, I tried, but there was so much to cover. There really was a lot to cover. You could almost do it, you know, do it all over again. I mean, it's. I kind of forget some of this one, but it was a good one. I think I was very engaged. Um, yeah, yeah, you were probably engaged pretty good. I mean, we talked about some of the blue collar work stuff uh, from the UK and the legacy media, ghosting, the whole new digital sort of thing. But we also talked about meditation and the trap of mindfulness and that kind of stuff. It's a good one. He's a fun cat. And uh, we hope you enjoy it. And of course, we got uh, Graham on the full time podcasting wagon. Yeah, but be careful what you wish for. Yeah. It could happen faster than you think. You thought you were going to go part-time for a while. Yeah. Wean yourself off of the teat. Wean myself off. <laughs> but, uh, no, let's just jump right in, buddy. You are off of the teat instantly. Jump right in. That's okay. Yeah, it's that's all good. okay. Just, it's a, you know, I got to trust, trust, trust the plan. Trust the plan. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> this again. <laughs> Didn't work out great last time. Actually, I mean, some people are still trusting the other plan. Trust the manifest, I guess. I should Trust say. the manifest. Manifest. Manifest destiny. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you'll be all right. Yeah. Got lots of books to read right now and we got, got lots, some... to, lots to do. Lots of America happening. Got the Outlawed. Got Rockfin. Yeah. Audio got books to make. Yeah. Got some contracts to do there. So yep. that'll help. We've got Secret Doctrine 2, which is like a million hours of reading. So, I mean, I'm really looking forward to getting that out there because that book is getting good. So. The secret teachings of all ages should be available any day oh, now that, as well. Yeah, that'll be great. It's already been over the allotted period they usually do. The Kindle side of it is all worked out, so it should just, I'm expecting to get an email from them any day 
saying that it's available for sale. So I mean, if and we then get, when that happens, you'll put that on adultbrain.ca, right? Yeah, it's already on there. Is oh, it is coming it? Okay. soon? So I'll okay. adjust all that, make that available, and hopefully you guys can pick up those books as soon as they're available. Because uh, yeah, weird. we got to make up Graham's. Uh, Graham fell off the boat sooner than expected, so we got to buff up his lifeboat. I mean, you know, you have a pretty good lifeboat. Listen, the last eight years and our 500th episode special coming up next week have provided a security blanket that a foundation, uh, yeah. a foundation that makes it available so that he's not fucking out on his ass. And uh, we got some time. We've got some time to, to build this thing up and get it where it needs to be to get it to a level where it needs to be so we can maintain, you know, the lifestyle that we're accustomed to and all that sort of stuff. You don't have to move into a smaller place and that yeah, kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's exactly, the last thing. Exactly. We want to do yeah. as we transition into that. I mean, I've simplified things as pretty much as much as I can for now. I and mean, now it's just sort of strap in and 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 make buckle it happen up. and buckle up and you know because I've sort of you know don't have the car payment anymore and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, your car's paid off. You got no kids, yeah. no ex-wife. Yeah, all that stuff. All that stuff helps. <laughs> I still work full time. Speaking of modern masculinity, he talks about that quite a bit in his book, and that's, that's kind of what we didn't get into. <laughs> And I want to work a while longer anyway, so that works out. Yeah. And uh, I'm, like, uh, much younger than you. People forget. Yeah. I can do another, like, five years and still be out much younger than you. <laughs> uh, so I think that's what I'll do. Maybe a little less, but somewhere in that neighborhood. So, uh, but, yeah, we got to get the payroll up so that we can start paying Graham a little more money and he doesn't have to stress out. So if you guys can, it's now more important than ever, head over to grammerica.ca slash support, uh, make a one-time donation, or ideally sign up for some sort of a monthly. Here's the thing. We got tens of thousands of people listening to this show. Tens of thousands, 30, 40, 50, 60,000 some episodes and, uh, and more. And that's just what Libsyn tells us. So, and we got still... Less than a thousand people support, much, much less. I think there's about, you know, around five or six hundred people supporting this show on a monthly basis. We'd like to see that number get up to closer to a thousand or fifteen hundred would be ideal. I mean, Outlawed has almost caught you guys already. Outlawed's up to about three hundred, I think. Um, anyway, there you go. That's uh, yeah. Check out our other you show guys. Outlawed, we just yeah. we just told you guys the numbers. That's where we're at in in our eight years. It's not it's not nothing. Don't get us wrong. We're uh, super grateful. Yeah, super I mean, grateful. Super grateful. But uh, that being said, we do have some clear goals we'd like to get it to. And now that Graham is doing this full time, we'd like to hopefully instigate you guys that have been sitting on the fence for a little while to maybe head over to grammerica.ca slash support this week. Sign up for a monthly or make a one-time donation. Maybe you can head over to grammericaoutlaw.ca. You can check out that podcast. We had the bonus app last week, so you guys could sort of get a sense for that. Ben Grundy. If you can sign up for Plus over there, that, of course, you know, helps out the same way. There's the Rockfin signups that help as well. There's all the adult brain stuff. If you guys check out our audio books, every book button that we've uh, published is a couple of dollars in the coffers. That all go towards us building and maintaining and sustaining and because uh, you got you got trips planned. I mean, you got a lot of events that you've been working on. I mean, you've done a fantastic oh, yeah. job of putting together a bunch of events with, you know, Randall Carlson and the Brothers of the Serpent. I mean, I mean, you, we got another really Scabland like, tour you know, coming up in September yeah, this year. Yeah, I was actually going through it with Natasha last night. 
Like next year is fucking locked and loaded, dude. Yeah. We got February Magic on the Mountain from yep. the 10th to 13th. That's with Joe Roop and uh, yeah. then Owen, Owen Hunt. Then we're, and Brandon Powell. And Brandon Powell. Then we're down in Utah two months later. Yeah. Uh, end of April, April yeah. 28th to May 2nd with Brandon Powell again, Dave Matheson, Felix. Ortega. Oh my God, Felix is, is making coming. A, making He's going to make appearance. some music for us down there. We'll get to hear a bunch of these jingles live. It'll be fantastic. Um, we do have rumblings of, uh, we got celebrity guests coming for sure to the first one, to the one in the Arizona. One, maybe two. And now it looks like uh, somebody might want to come and check out Bryce and Zion Canyon with us. Wow. Yeah, that'd be great. Mr. Carlson. And then after so he that, wants to see what we're up to in Utah, possibly. <laughs> so, so Randall might show up, which doesn't really matter because you, uh, Utah's you've got a spot or you don't. I think there's one, maybe two spots left, mm. but for the most part, I'm like switching that over to sold out any day. Wow. Uh, then we'll have another Scablands adventure in September of that year, which is not booked yet, but is coming. And then October 2022 down in Texas, I've been talking to Tyrell Rolling Stone from $50 Dynasty, the lead guitarist from Snake Bro Kyle's band. And we are setting up a proper festival down in Texas, October 2022, probably early October 2022. <clears throat> uh, looks like I've been talking to Superman. We'll get him out there. A bunch of Texas bands. We're going to have camping. We're going to have a couple of lectures. We're going to have Brandon Powell doing breath work up on that stage for a little while. Well, camping, there'll probably be some cabins out there as well. It'll be a three-day event. It'll be just music and hanging out because we decided we do all these events, but they're so busy. We're gone to Zion, gone to here, gone to there lectures, presentations. It's really like you go to these contact at the cabin events and it's fucking wall to wall and it's time to go. So now we're like, well, well, let's just do the festival. We'll do the festival where we can just go hang out. Nobody's going anywhere. And the whole thing is just about hanging out all weekend, having a good time. And it looks like we might start wheeling in a couple other podcasts on this as well, which could turn it into a real party. Cool. We're tentatively calling it esoterica. But isn't that, uh, <laughs> I like uh, the, the uh, Truthzilla was talking about their festival. It was like Oregon, Oregon, Oregon. What was it again? Agoragon, Agoragon nice. Manifest. Nice. Do they have bands? Yeah, I think so. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think That's it's a good, natural That's sort of evolution. Yeah. So uh, what about uh, Egypt then? That's right after that. Oh, my God. November 5th to 19th, oh, 2022. Crazy. So next year's booked. Yeah. And then the year after that, we're going to go to the Azores at some point. Yeah. Looks like summer. We're doing a Rockfin video, another Atlantis one coming up. About Speaking about the Azores, this guy's got it dialed in. It'll be interesting. It'll kind of piggyback on Randall's work. Well, maybe he wants to come to the Azores with us. Exactly. It's going to yeah, be a got, There's a couple guys in the UK that, that are into Atlantis. Egypt is at like 54 already. So I think there's like... 16 spots left for that Egypt trip, which we're not even technically taking deposits for yet, but that's going to happen fast. Actually, yeah. the only thing we're waiting on now, now we've already decided it's happening. We're kind of testing the waters to see how many people were interested, but I mean, Ben hasn't even mentioned it yet, and we're already pretty well fucking at the number we need. Wow. 
So right now we're we're all we're waiting on is the itinerary. Yeah. The snake bros are building the itinerary, deciding what special permissions we need to have and where we need to go and what we need to see while we're in Egypt for the trip of a lifetime. The snake bros Egypt trip of a lifetime. Um so that's with Ben from Uncharted X as well. Yeah, and the Snake Bros and, the and snake us. Bros and us. And we're going to fucking party hardy down in Egypt for two weeks. It's going to be fantastic. What about Brad and Randall? Are they coming? I don't think so, no. Okay. Um, I mean, they might decide to come, yeah, but, yeah, but it's, yeah, it's too yeah. soon to tell, yeah, and yeah, we're, yeah. Not, we're not uh, selling it as that. Uh, so, yeah, that's what we're doing. We're going to Egypt. We'll be in that king's chamber for sure. We'll be doing down in those boxes we seen on Ben when we did the episode with him for Rockfin. We'll see all that crazy shit in Egypt. All the stuff you wish you could see in Egypt, we're going to see. Yeah. All of it. I'm going to try and maybe smoke DMT in the king's chamber. <laughs> all right, buddy. If you want to be... Uh, that's pretty brave. It is. You never know. You might come out a different, you might come out like half reptile or something. Yeah, but then I'll take over the place. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. Look out. (laughs) You're on the reptile overlord of the church. That's it. Fucking running the place. I'll be kind to you. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if you could, dude, I'll get all the power. Do it. Go for it. (laughs) I will just do a plain old meditation in there. Yeah. Yeah. Watch me turn it. Because I, I kind of missed my chance. I was in there and like, 31, 32 years ago, and I just didn't really do enough. I didn't take enough reverence with me when I went there. That'll teach you. I did smoke a dub on the pyramid, though. On the top? Yeah. No, no, you don't go at the top, but, I mean, you can climb up a little ways. You probably can't do it nowadays, but back then, back then, we did. I'm going to the top. We went high enough where it wasn't that obvious that, you know, so some of the guards couldn't look up and say, hey, what are you doing? I'm going all the way to the top. You can't climb it up all the way to the top. No, you can't. I'll pay someone money. I don't think you can I'll even physically somewhere. do it. I don't even think it's climbable all what? the way up. Yeah, Cause dude, because the fucking blocks are huge, dude. You can't just like you can't just like just. I seen a picture of Graham Hancock on top. Okay, well, so you maybe tell he me flew Graham up Hancock there. Maybe get, he got he flew up. Took there. a helicopter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's what happened. <laughs> maybe you just suck at climbing stuff. <laughs> All right, what do you got? Okay, I got some quotes. I want I want to do like three quotes because in Michael Ronan's book. He's got some great quotes in there. I like books with quotes. You like books with quotes. Yeah. See if you can guess any of these. Should I put some quotes in my book then? Just for you? Yeah, do it, dude. Okay. For sure. Quote me. No. Quote me. Quote you. I smoked a dupe on the pyramid. Oh, I'll, have better, I'll, have be- <laughs> I'll have better quotes than that. <laughs> I'll have quotes out of the fucking audit, out of audible outtakes. <laughs> <laughs> fucking, fucking, fucking. <laughs> I don't do that anymore. It's the profound quote of the week. Darren, can you guess it? It's the profound quote of the week. Can you guess the human who spoke it or wrote it down? So this is from his chapter number 72, Unity Consciousness, and it's, What if our religion was each other? If our practice was our life? If prayer was our words? What if the temple was our, the earth? If forests were our church? If holy water, the rivers, lakes, and oceans? What if meditation was our relationships? If the teacher was life? If wisdom was self-knowledge? If love was the center of our being? 
Ganja White. Who's that? <laughs> I don't know. 73, this is from chapter 73, the current level of global consciousness. Anybody can become angry. That is easy. But to be angry with the right person and to the right degree and at the right time and for the right purpose and in the right way, that is not within everybody's power and is not easy. Very, very famous philosopher said that. Gandhi. Going way back, like way back. Way back? Yeah. Give me a year. Like B.C. B.C., Plato. Close. Aristotle. That's right. Uh, 73, the current level of global consciousness. The current. No, I just said that. Hmm. I got mad the other day. Really? I called the Ottawa Health Region and complained about their social media account. Really? Oh, my God. I saw that whole post. You told me about it. But I saw all the thing and I could not believe it. Oh, I, I couldn't believe this was I lost really it. happening. Okay, let me let me do. Do you want to talk about it? Because that don't really matter. I mean, they were politicizing dead Indian kids, and I didn't appreciate it. Wow. Yeah, it's none of their fucking business, and they don't get to be. Well, it kind of. They don't get to no, be. No, no, they don't, they don't get, have to get an opinion on. They're the ones. Well, it's not even just the opinion. It's like they want some fucking sympathy. Go fuck yourself. It's mm -hmm. your organization right now that has taken more Indian kids away from fucking families than the church or anybody else is the health. Indian kids are taken away from their fucking parents at a fucking like five to six to eight to one rate. Anyone else in fucking Canada when it comes to the family services. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of cases where it needs to happen, but. I'm sure there's plenty where it doesn't. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's very strange. So that they're they're the ones the speaking up. I'm like, public wow, health you were actually, something like that you were actually is saying, fucking disgusting. Yeah. When it was in the government shit? Yeah. It was in the government shit decades ago when this was going on. I mean, the the, res, the whole residential school thing was was not the, just the church. See, it was the government as well. It seems well. to be still going on, the sterilization and shit like that to this day. Wow. To a certain extent. Yeah. Whether that's just the health region strongly encouraging it or manipulating it or whatever, but it's the health region right now that I would say is a major problem. So to see them try and virtue signal it is pretty disgusting. Yeah. Did you call? So you called I them? I called them and left a message, yeah. I tweeted the reply, too, that got fucking hundreds of likes. and Tweeted whose reply? I replied to the tweet. Oh, okay. Yeah. That kind of took off. Good for you. Yeah, fuck them. That's speaking of anger. I mean, that's that's the right time and the right place for it. Okay, here's another, the last quote. We can spend our lives letting the world tell us who we are, sane or insane, saints or sex addicts, heroines or, oops, heroes or victims, <laughs> letting history tell us how good or bad we are, letting our past decide our future, or we can decide for ourselves. And maybe it's our job to invent something better. Don't know. Chuck Norris. Palinick. <laughs> <laughs> If you want to call the uh, Ottawa Public Health Region and let them know how you think of them politicizing residential schools, murdering uh, Indian kids, Native kids, Indigenous kids, whatever you want to call them, and politicizing it for COVID and white supremacy bullshit, this and that, you can call them at 613-580-6744. Uh, and you can tell them Darren told you to call. 6144? 6744. 6744. That'll be in the show notes as well. The show notes. All right, what else you got? Well, I got a project operation. We will have the, uh, what's it called in this episode? Or we can here. save it for next episode if you want. But... Uh, let's get through that. Okay. What's that noise?
But it looks military to me. Definitely military. Probably classified too. Dishfire. Prism. Sentry Eagle. Sigma. Mannerkin. Artichoke. MK Ultra. Operation Project. I love that. That that jingle is just my all-time favorite. So, dude, have you heard of have you heard lots of or any any ramblings going on about uh Bitcoin and cyber attacks and the, the FBI and like it's no I've been listening to No Agenda a little bit and hearing some of it and it's creepy, dude. It's weird what's happening. It's like the six week cycle. Remember the six week cycle? Six week cycles back. Uh, I don't know. It could be this. Could be the new Here's the thing. digital I think, form. I don't of think it. the six week cycle went anywhere. I just think the media was too busy bitching about Trump to notice it. I bet you it was still there somewhere in the background playing up. Um, they might not have needed it for their money and all that. They might have been secure for the because of Trump, you know. Trump just gave him enough money they didn't Maybe, have to. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's weird, yeah. But anyways, this it kind of Trump coming back in twenty twenty four? Predictions? Trump DeSantis? I'm not predicting anything. I don't give a shit. I predict Trump DeSantis twenty twenty four. Good for you. Wow. Dude, I don't know. Just I a just, crazy guess. Yeah. I heard a rumor that he talked to him about it. Yeah. That's why I'm getting it. As soon as I seen it, I was like, oh, those guys will win. For sure. They won't win because unless, nah, unless, unless they want them to win. They'll win. No. Oh. Dude, it was so messed up this time. How do you, ever, how do you think they're going to fix it by then? How do you think they're going to fix it by then? I mean, unless they actually. I'm batting like 850. Yeah. What are you at? Like 220? I don't, don't want to even try. I don't even want to play this game. Because <laughs> you suck <laughs> at it. <laughs> So this, so what I was searching is Operation Trojan Shield, which is kind of known also as Operation Ironside, and this is the Anom. Have you heard of it? Why, like, why do they like Anomalous? Why do they even? I know that's what they. Why do they call it that? Also stylized as Anom or Anom with a circle through it. It's a sting operation, and it's a collaboration by law enforcement agencies from several countries. So get this, this is running between 2018 and 2021 that intercepted millions of messages sent through the supposedly secure smartphone-based messaging app, Anom. So they, they made an, the FBI made an app that all these criminals downloaded and used, and they is that stung. the can app? <laughs> <laughs> the Anom service was widely used by criminals, but instead of providing secure com- communication... It was actually a Trojan horse covertly distributed by the United States FBI and the Australian AFP, which is their federal police. And it enabled them to monitor all communications through collaboration with other law enforcement agencies worldwide. The operation resulted in the arrest of over 800 suspects allegedly involved in this criminal activity in 16 countries. Among the arrested people were alleged members of Australian-based Italian mafia Albanian organized crime, outlaw motorcycle gangs, drug syndicates, and other organized crime groups. So, dude, this like this is recent, very recent. Uh, the shutdown of Canadian secure messaging system Phantom Secure in 2018 left international criminals in need of an alternate system of secure communication. So, around the same time, the San Diego FBI branch had been working. Wait, isn't all my communication secure? It says encrypted. And they had been developing a next generation encrypted device for use by criminal networks. 
Uh, let's see here. Oh, I, this is crazy. So they, they basically got somebody in there to create this, this app from them to reduce their sentence. Uh, the FBI named this Operation Trojan Shield and the AFP named it Ironside. So there's the difference in the thing. So I'm not going to get into the distribution and usage, but I am going to talk about some of the arrests because this is like days ago, like a couple days ago. The sting operation culminated in sh- search warrants that were executed simultaneously around the globe on June 8th. 2021. It's not entirely clear why this date was chosen, but news organizations have speculated it might be related to a warrant for server access expiring on the 7th of June. The background of the sting operation and its transnational nature was revealed following the execution of the warrants. Over 800 people were arrested in 16 countries among the arrested. So they go through all that again. Let me skip ahead here. Oh, dude, they seized evidence, including almost 40 tons of drugs, over eight Tons of cocaine, 22 tons of cannabis and cannabis resin, six tons of synthetic drug precursors, two tons of hydroxychloroquine. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> two tons of synthetic drugs, 250 guns, 55 luxury cars, and more than 48 million in various currencies and cryptocurrencies. Oh, I think we're caught up in that. Was that like three days ago, four days ago? Oh, no, that wasn't. When I lived, no, I remember oh, like a few years ago when I lived uh, when I when I still lived on the lake over there. Mm-hmm. There was like the house like uh, up the road, like forty houses up the road that they fucking raided and pulled two Lambos out of it, two whoa, yellow Lambos whoa, and a bunch what? of shit. And that house was like just there and empty and vacant for a long time wow. before they sold it again. Yeah. <laughs> So it was like, turned out to be that this dude on my street was just a major fucking major crime kingpin. Wow. In Australia, 224 people were arrested on 526 total charges. In New Zealand, 35 people with a total of 900 charges. Police seized $3.7 million in assets, including 14 vehicles, drugs, firearms, and more than $1 million in cash. Over the course of the three years, more than 9,000 police officers across 18 countries were involved in the sting. Damn. Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison said that the sting operation had struck a heavy blow against organized crime. Europol described it as the biggest ever law enforcement operation against encrypted communication. And then it's also in Germany, Netherlands, Sweden. Oh, it, but I'll tell you what's happening, dude. I mean, I mean this is going to get really crazy, but um, when you listen to some of the mainstream media spouting this stuff, they're talking about... You know, Bitcoin being basically evil, used by criminals. That's all it's for, using for for crime. The underground crime network, Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. Like, they are demonizing Bitcoin. And it's interesting that it's at the time when, like, if, oh, I don't know. Because they should, want Maybe ETH. we shouldn't get into it. Maybe we shouldn't. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't get into it. But I don't want to be too negative on this show. I want to say that for Outlawed. But, ah. <laughs> but the supply chain's going to have some problems coming up. And, and, and it's all part already. of it's all part of like this. If you're paying attention, is all part of supply chain has problems now. It's only getting. I know. I know. Meat it's, grinders have wait lists. Wow. Because of steel in China. Yeah. That's where this is boiling back to. The yeah. sausage supply shop in Calgary has a back order on meat grinders. They're number eight hundred seventy-two on a list. Wow. That's all to do with stainless steel coming out of China. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's gonna get really. Because the war is coming. Yeah. I mean, first it was coins, then it, now it's steel. 
Yeah. And it's starting to be ammunition. Just be prepared. I mean, whatever is coming, it doesn't hurt to be prepared. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to get a bunch more firewood today, actually. Right as soon as we're done podcasting, I'm awesome. going to get another cord, stack it up under the deck. And, uh, yeah, I think that's smart. Whatever you can do to prepare to to try and make yourself resilient from any supply chain disruptions. I mean, this is I think that's sort of the key just because, I mean, the, you know, this crypto thing I'm is resilient weird because, from the supply because, chain already. Now I'm trying to get resilient from the power supply. Yeah, because he, the EMF or was it the EMF? The WEF came out and said they, they've started warning about this cyber cyber pandemic and only make COVID look like a distraction. It'll be so bad. So and then now we're seeing. All these weird, you know, ransomware attacks and they're blaming the criminals in Bitcoin and who knows, right? Who knows what's really going on? But it's pretty alarming when the WEF warns of that and now it's happening. Happening over and over again. They're just blaming. Ah, Trump's going to bust them all up, take them to jail. Trust the plan, bro. It's all coming around. Zulu's still out. Anyways, this is in Wikipedia. So I'm going to pop it in the show notes and... uh, yeah, Wikipedia. take a, take a All right, That's guys, we love you. Oh, hang on, you're gonna you're gonna pop in. Uh... Yeah, I'll get to that. Oh, okay, sorry. We love you, slash support Sign up for that monthly. This show, if you can, we'd love you. We'd love to see you know an extra hundred or two hundred people sign up. Maybe you can be one of those people. Give us a little boost in our hour of need. I think this is the first hour of need we've ever had, like eight years. Mm-hmm. But we got we're here now, so please support slash support we will pop in the teaser from uh, Mr. Comatan himself. Comatan. Comatan. Yeah. Is that his legal name now? I think so. Probably. Yeah. I don't think it's just an alias. I mean, he wrote the Omnidoxy for the for the for religion. The religion. Of so astronomism. Go ahead. Have a listen to the astronism. to the best of, and let us know what you think. Yeah, it's and actually pretty that, cool. It's a pretty cool non dogmatic religion. After that, we'll jump into the chat. Is it just co- coincidence that? You know, that's the religion chat is right around when stop full-time job. And maybe. Then we'll jump maybe into the masculinity stuff. Maybe I'm going to be a priest, the of, cult? priest of, what would it be called, I wonder? Maybe a cult. Space cult. priest? Mm. You could Vice, probably Vice go through Admiral? some old Star Trek episodes yeah, and you'll well, find something. <laughs> Viceroy. Enjoy the chats. Um... Really, what I tend to start off with uh, whenever I explain astronism is the word astronality, uh, because astronism in in ways is, is not like other belief systems, because I see it as having an emotional basis, uh, a, a basis in experience rather than just belief, and also a basis, you know, in experience rather than just an event having occurred or um, someone having received some type of revelation. Uh, And really, I do think this sort of emotional basis to astronism is one of its unique um, aspects, really. And this, well, this emotional attachment to the night sky, which is what astronality refers to, I think has has been felt by the vast majority of humans, you know, throughout history. Um, and this is what the sort of prehistoric side to uh, astronism and the astronic tradition to which it belongs. This this is where its origins lie. This is where um, 
you know, beliefs about the stars emerge from is from our experience of wonder, happiness, hope, and even sometimes fear when we look up at the stars and and begin to wonder what is out there. Is our future up there or is, you know, is our sort of destiny uh, but they were the first people to to really sort of, in a way, kind of like carve out a, like a, a distinct tradition of um, creativity, really, with with regards to the stars. So uh, around forty thousand BCE is, yeah. is where I trace this astronomic tradition back to. I think the Upper Paleolithic uh, goes from around that. Maybe maybe more like fifty thousand BCE to um, to around seventeen thousand BCE or fifteen thousand BCE somewhere around there. So it's fairly it's, it's sort of on the you know it's it's on the older end of the Upper Paleolithic really rather yeah. than the the sort of uh, later end of it. Astronism then can kind of be understood, yeah, like like you said in the intro, kind of a modern. Um, sort of a, a modern form, really, of this very prehistoric, very um, ancient prehistoric form of, of belief and and, um, and sort of practice as well, uh, but for, obviously, a modern audience. So we talk about space exploration a lot. Obviously, we don't see rockets and things like that in these prehistoric paintings, you know, and, and things like that. So it, it's a different type of um, astronic religion, but it is still connected, of course. But as we move deeper into astronism, we see that there is really a fundamental assertion that sort of props astronism up, which is that the astronomical world is the primary existential source of humanity. What I mean by that is, is that outer space is intertwined at the most fundamental level with who we are as a species, um, you know, where we came from and where we are heading, essentially. And... Of course, like I mentioned before, in other religions, this existential source might be God. It might be the terrestrial world, you know, the natural terrestrial world. Um, but for us in astronism, and likely for these other people in prehistoric and ancient times, um, it is the stars, it is outer space. There's a very sort of practical, um, survivalistic aspect to it of you know, if we don't sort of expand to different planets, we are leaving ourselves very vulnerable to something similar to what happened to the dinosaurs, you know, something similar to that. Um, so, again, there are different levels that you can sort of engage with that. How far do you want to go? I mean, my life, one of my life goals is to get to that highest condition of myself, that, that sort of understanding of, the universe in the cosmos in a way that that um i don't know where i can feel fulfilled you know by the end of my life that i can say i've tried to do everything that i can to to engage with it uh in all different ways i've never you know closed any doors to, yeah and to and you've built it like this too right where there, it's not dogmatic there is a process of adding new ideas and theories into this whole system right yeah, and a little bit later on, you'll be able to see that, that it's actually astronism. I like to think of it as like a machine. It's like, um, 
you know, it's like cogs going round. It, it's it's um, and sometimes cogs come out and then other new ones come back in to keep the mechanism going. I do believe that the decisions that we make now uh, will affect future generations going forward for many, many generations. Uh, you know, so we they could be looking back at us and, and sort of cursing at us if we, you know, make the wrong decisions right now. I think we're at a, um, we're, we're at a really crucial time. And I don't think majority of humanity realise that sometimes, uh, how crucial a time we actually do live in. Um, one little concept that we talk about sometimes in astronism is called the, the middle humanity, which is what we are at the moment, where we sort of we know sort of planets and galaxies exist beyond our own. Uh, you know, sort of the first humanity did that for us. Um, you know, the early astronomers and things like that. But we're not quite yet at the humanity where they can explore to the stars and, and do this, all these great things that we're talking about. There was this kind of very close-knit uh, connection between these civilizations and the planets and, you know, the outer space, the, the astronomical world, I like to call it, um, which I think we've lost, really, Again, that's what I've kind of founded astronism for, is to kind of regain this sort of close connection to the stars. I think the more that we've learned about how big the universe is, the more, you know, distant these things have become in our minds as well. Like you were saying before about, you know, the planet was 46 billion light years away or whatever. I did it this year in order to create um, the, the dictionary, the Institutional Dictionary of Astronism, which I published in March, uh, which was a product of me just kind of going away for, you know, a couple of months and just exploring every aspect of astronism that currently exists. And I was never able to do that, you know, a few years ago. The When I was writing the Omnidoxy, these inspirations came um, sort of uncontrollably. You know, I, I couldn't control when they came. I couldn't control, you know, it could be the middle of the night. I would wake up and I'd have to spend two hours writing. You know, I couldn't get back to sleep because I was having idea after idea after idea about anything to do with astronism, really, all these different aspects of it. In astronism, we see divinity as a, as a subject to be discussed, as a subject to be constantly open to continual uh, discussion rather than sort of like a dogmatic... Um, we have beliefs, you know, uh, you might have read that astronism's a panentheistic religion, for example. Um, you might have read that somewhere. That is true, you know. we There are beliefs within astronism that, that the divine inter intervenes in the cosmos. To what degree that, 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 you know, a divine entity is able to do that or does do that, is up for discussion um but again this is the whole point of having astronism as a kind of open philosophy in a way uh is to try and explore these ideas more um as time goes on we believe that the solution to this this are these problems is to sort of orient ourselves on cosmocentrism so to consider the cosmos as central rather than um, ourselves or uh, the natural world or even earth um, and again to 
reach our highest conditions through the opportunities that have been provided to us. Um, the outcome of this individually is that, you know, we will have made the most of our limited existence of our corporeal lifetime. This is the astronic tradition that I was talking about at the beginning. This is all the different branches of it. Um, and more needs to be added to this, probably. Uh, this is just something that I've, you know, tried to create. Wow. Um, yeah, this is <laughs> so this is where I wanted to talk about the ultimation uh, word. This slide is probably at this stage, the most complicated that astronism gets this slide. Um, this essentially is the nuts and bolts, the mechanism uh, of astronism trying to sort of depict is the right word, depict what they see around them with what they see up in the in, in the night sky essentially that's what astromorphism means it's a similar word to an, anthropomorphism which would be more familiar with it's it's a similar concept to that but it's just in relation to the stars um this is another aspect of my work that i'm doing at the moment because I'm, I'm doing my phd at the moment in freedom of religion cool. um, and how different uh, governments around the world um, restrict religion through the recognition systems. All right, tonight we've got Michael Ronan with us. He's an interdisciplinary cultural commentator, and he's an author with a new book, Modern Masculinity for the Conscious Man, Making Sense in Troubled Times. Thanks for coming on. Guys, it's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for allowing me to talk to you. Yeah, it's great. Like we were saying before, I loved your book. It's one of my favorites. Honestly, it was you, you know, it was kind of like no holes barred about about modern masculinity. You didn't really hold anything back, which is great. And it really reminded me. Darren and I were kind of starting up sort of like another show a few years ago, and it was kind of about like a man transcending type thing. It was it was very, oh, very similar, nice. very similar to some of the stuff that you talk about in your book, or at least, you know, like, so we've been thinking along this, this way for a while, but it was really good the way you put this book together that had not only stuff about masculinity, but about the control systems and about uh, femininity and the divine union. And uh, it, I just, I just really loved it. So maybe we could just start with a little bit about yourself and, sure. um, and then how you got into writing the book. Yeah. Um, so uh, I've, I've done so many different things in my life. Uh, it's led me down so many different avenues. Uh, this is my latest iteration. I've, um, in the past, I've been, I was a professional actor for several years. <clears throat> I was a teacher, a Montessori teacher. I've been, um, let me think. Um, I've, I've been an account manager for a website development company, uh, a baker, a farmer, uh, <laughs> worked in, uh, publishing actually for a male interest magazine back in England and uh, worked in the government um, for uh, one couple of agencies there. So, uh, you know, I've, 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 I kind of have this desire inside me to get as broad a range of experiences as possible rather than becoming a, a subject matter expert or sticking with one profession. Uh, I guess I would be the, like the perpetual novice. Actually, um, you, you name that in the book. And I meant to write a note about that because 
No, no. You named you, you. There was another name in there, and I always thought of it as almost like a dilettante. But there's some there's some other name you used in the book, and I because I oh, uh, I kind of have to do that too. Like I can't doing this show, and we do a couple shows a week now. I can't dig into anything really in depth. Although sometimes I kind of feel like it, but yeah, yeah. but I have to try and stay like kind of more of like a surface level with all these different things, which I I also really love. So I really appreciate yeah. it. So that basically makes us Renaissance men. You know, we, uh, the, I think the word you were looking for was philomath. Which yes, is that's what it was. Yep. It's a lover of learning and studying. And I just love to uncover and discover things which generally are not part of the collective awareness. Yeah. And it um, sounds like you guys do exactly the same thing with your podcast as well. Exactly. Which, yeah. which is what's appealing about it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I could have chosen to be the sort of guy that goes around inventing great gizmos or, you know, earning pots and pots of money, um, you know, looking for, a, you know, to lead a powerful existence, but that's not who I am at my core. Um, I guess essentially I'm a map maker. I, I, um, I look at the social landscape and I make a map and then I, hopefully that map is then useful for other people to, to, uh, peruse. In fact, um, Funnily enough, I was thinking about this today. My favorite fictional character is uh, Bilbo Baggins in, in uh, The Lord of the Rings. And uh, he and I are very similar. He, he's a map maker as well. He made a map of Middle Earth. Um, he spends his time writing, writing books. Um, he's very introverted, quiet. He keeps himself to himself. He, he loves his garden. And every now and then he goes out and has a great adventure. He goes out and, and uh, challenges himself in the world, but but not as an everyday act. It's just like a once or twice a lifetime. He gets out there and, and finds out who he really is in the real world. But my, my preference is basically books and learning um, and making maps. Excellent. Yeah. That makes sense because you, you did tie a lot of things together in, the, in this book. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because I... I I've actually come to regard men in a favorable light that I never previously previously was able to. I grew up with um, a tyrannical father and uh, stepfather, um, and he was just a, an angry rat bag, and and he pretty much made my life he, he made my life miserable. Um, I was verbally abused, physically abused, and grew up basically thinking that men. Um, was not something uh, manhood was not something I should aspire to. If that's, if that's what's on offer, then you can shove it. Um, so it took me a long time to uh, deprogram myself from that sort of programming that he gave me. And I've, I've now hold men in high regard. And I would even say that they are the fairer sex in many ways. Um, but today, you know, I look around me and uh, I can see that many men are experiencing a crisis of masculinity. Um, you know, men as a whole <clears throat> are now considered contemptible by society. Um, they're subject to claims of their masculinity being toxic or of having male privilege or patriarchal privilege, if you like, um, or of being, you know, um, born to be violent abusers or potential rapists. You know, there's a rapist just waiting to get out of every single man. Um, and I know that that's not the case. Um, 
you know, there are husbands who are subject to what's called divorce rape, which is coming into common parlance. And what that means is they're basically getting shafted by their wives and the wives' pit bull lawyers in family court and losing half of their shit and losing their kids. Um, and the, the system is rigged against them in family court, which we could get into later if you like. Yeah. Um, there are so many things. It's like, where do you, I mean, the, there's the presence of men in colleges, which is declining and has been declining for a couple of decades now. Um, those kids that get into college are then just one step away from a false allegation of sexual abuse. And now they have these college tribunals, which are like these kangaroo courts where you're summarily, there's this, decide you're, you're summarily judged as to whether or not you have um, transgressed in terms of some sort of sexual uh, aggression against a woman um, and then summarily expelled from college. Um, it's so it's so interesting that that colleges are allowed to adjudicate serious a serious as serious a case as rape because why why on earth wouldn't they adjudicate like murder in that if a murder takes place on a college um, by the same by the same token what is to stop them from adjudicate, adjudicating a rape case yeah. uh, I mean a, a murder case yeah. and be, you know what why on earth is this not in a court of law. Uh, just like, you know, murders are, you know, rape should be in a court of law, but they're not, they're college tribunals. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so, I mean, you know. We're, well, we kind of know where, you know, the colleges are kind of, you know, they're indoctrination camps lately. Yeah. So it's not a surprise really that they're, they can do right. that. So yeah. how did, how did you, before we get too deep down that, how did you change, how did you transform into your, or how did your views about men transform and when, how long ago did that happen? Like, like, yeah, you, did you, would you, did you have to participate in a bunch of group things with men or did you like, what, what made you like you actually change your mind about that? Yeah. Back in 2012, um, in my community, um, a few of us got together and set up a men's group here. Oh, and, yeah. um, you know, initially I thought to myself, well, why just men? It seems very strange. I mean, women have great perspectives to offer. Um, it's not like they are clueless or um, have nothing valuable to offer uh, um, and understandings of the world. Why, why should men um, separate themselves from women's understanding? Uh, so I came at it half-heartedly, and, but the group has been going on strong since then. It's still going on. And um, the, the, what, I, what I realized is that, um, that there are so many qualities that men exhibit that I now value, which I never even appreciated before. Um, and men are so stoic and so, um, they're so stoic in the face of, of the pressures and the obstacles and the, the, the aggressions and slights that they face in their life that you don't really hear about them. They don't complain. Men don't complain in the same way that women do. And, but in, in a men's group, that's what we do. We get together and we share with each other what is alive in us. What is it we're struggling with? What, 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 how is life going wrong for us? As well as how is life going right for us? Um, and we, we frame it in terms of uh, um, breakdowns and breakthroughs. So uh, a breakdown is obviously stuff that you're finding challenging and breakthrough is like stuff that is bringing you joy in your life because we also have to recognize that um 
you know, we need to celebrate that which is positive in our lives and take time to do that and not just move on to the next job, which men are very capable of doing. You know, once a job is finished, well, go and get the next job um, and not stop to actually celebrate it in and of itself. So, um, you know, that there, there are times when men need to talk to men uh, about stuff which is on their minds and know that they won't be policed by their intimate partner or women in general. And that's, that's the value of men's group is to come together and know that you are in good company, uh, in company where men hold your best interests um, as sacrosanct and where they're looking out for your best interests, where they have the, the greatest amount of goodwill towards you. Um, so that's how the men's group is set up. It's, it's a, if, we, if you want to use the term, it's a safe space. It's where men can get together and not be judged by each other, where we can actually be vulnerable and um, show each other our shadow aspects, uh, show each other those parts of ourselves that we would rather nobody else know about, but that are there, that we just dare not talk about, you know, the things that we are shameful about, the things um, that are deep and down and dirty, uh, and we want the things we want to remain hidden, but part of our growth journey is to bring those things into the light, deal with them and integrate them. And we need a place to do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Do you, did you notice, do you ever think back on the UK and, and how you guys have such a uh, different uh, school and apprenticeship program? Like I, I feel like that in the UK people are, um, they have, they might have a little bit more meaning with, with, uh, occupation or with uh, expertise in things. Whereas in North America, we just seem to be this. It seems to be like you look down on a lot of the uh, certificates and stuff that you would get. Right. Like I came a little bit from the aerospace industry and we had a lot of people from England come over and uh-huh. they're very, very knowledgeable and exp- ex- experts in, in these, you know, apprenticeship programs and expert. And I feel like that was like a main focus at some point, do you think there's been a big shift there or do you think that it's different than North America in that way? I think there has been oh, just to, just to let you know, I haven't lived in Britain since 2003. I've been living yeah, in the United, yeah. United yeah. States since then. So yeah. I'm kind of out of touch with what's going down over yeah. there. But um, one of the government agencies I worked for was the Nas- National Economic Development Office, which was a tripartite organization bringing together government, the unions and the employers to devise ways to help British industry work better and compete better. And at the time, this was back, um, I think, in the 80s, uh, we were were actually looking at the German system of apprenticeships, the the Meister system, uh, and trying to model it for British industry because we actually didn't have anything comparable. There was nothing really good that was going on. So, in fact, uh, the apprenticeship system in, in Britain had been on the decline for years, even before I started to look at it myself. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So do you think that that, I wonder why I have that sound. I wonder if it was on the decline when I was learning about it or if, or if it was more of it's back, like maybe that was, it was reinvigorated from your learning from the Germans and it was back. It just seemed like in Europe in general, even people had respect for their trade craft. There was, yeah. there was a real respect for having a trade and whether it was a baker or an electrician or a steel worker or, or an aerospace technician, like. Yeah. Know. But blue collar workers in Britain are looked down upon. Um, it's part of our ancient class system. 
Um, and anybody who has aspirations wants to get into university and get a, um, a scholarly degree as opposed to um, going to a polytechnic, uh, which I don't think they exist anymore. Everything has now been changed into uni- university. But uh, these used to be the trade schools. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. people who go to trade schools are very much look, were very much looked down upon. Huh. Interesting. We have polytechnics yeah. here and still. Yeah. That's what SAID yeah. is. Yeah. I thought that I thought that there was more of like a, even coming out of high school, you were kind of uh, pushed or prodded into a trade where we were just sort of left to flounder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah when, when I was uh, leaving high school, I met with a careers advisor and just to give you an idea of, of the level of competent competency and professionalism, I met with her and she never reviewed my school records. She never talked to me to get to know me as a person, to know what my qualities and values are and where I saw myself in life and to dig deep. She just asked me two questions. Uh, do you want to be in banking or do you want to be in insurance? <laughs> That's unbelievable. That's it. There you go. Which did you pick? I picked banking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I, th- I, I had no idea. I had no idea. And nobody was showing me how to find out what I wanted in life. Yeah. That wasn't much different here. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So now you realize the whole money system is just a big scam anyways, right? There you go. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, let's get back down to the to the book then. I guess you, we should talk about, you know, mass modern masculinity, I guess, defined kind of more or less. And then also the truth, the you know, the proto-truths, the truths uh, at the beginning as well to sort of lay some context for this. Sure, yeah. So um, maybe maybe say there's some trigger warnings for people in, in the chat a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, so that the the, um, the book is very broad and it covers so many different aspects that are not always related directly to masculinity. It relates to us being men as human beings, and so we're multifaceted individuals, and we're not just like John Wayne characters, you know, trying to beat our chests and be alpha males all the time. Uh, there's so much nuance to how we walk through life, and every male is different from every, every other male, which make, makes writing a book about masculinity a little problematic, but I kind of address that in the book. But fundamentally, um, every man, and of course every woman, but I'm writing this from a male perspective, every man has what I call true nature. And this is, these were the original instructions that we were given, if you like, by our creator. Whether or not you believe in God, we were endowed with these essential directions uh, encoded in our being. And I'm not just talking about DNA, DNA encoding, but every child is born with a particular temperament. And I used to be a Montessori teacher. I, I, I taught three to five-year-olds. And uh, you could see this. I mean, before they did, you know, at that stage in their existence, they've received very little programming from society. And you get to see uh, what the true human being really looks like. And they're different from each other. They're not... Um, Every human being born is different from every other human being. We're born um, with a particular uh, gleam, if you like. And the way I describe it in the book is that there exists within us this intrinsic aspect, just as the image of an oak tree is contained within the acorn. So we also have an intrinsic aspect contained within us. 
um, like an, an image of what we're going, going to grow and become. So the acorn is going to grow and become an oak tree. Uh, now, the acorn doesn't know exactly what sort of environment it's going to be planted in, um, doesn't know if it's going to be eaten at some point in its lifetime before it even gets to be a tree, but it knows it's an acorn, and it's its job to basically fulfill its potential. It's brought into existence with the uh, desire to become the biggest and baddest oak tree in existence and to become one of those majestic oak trees. And of course, not every acorn ends up like that. The same is true of human beings. You know, we, we have encoded in us um, our true nature. And from the time we're born, we are presented with an environment which either selects for the fullest expression of us or doesn't. And um, we receive programming from our parents, our teachers, our school, our society, and we're trained by them to ignore and repress certain aspects that we contain within us. And until we find them harder and harder to see at all, as we, as we turn into adults, uh, by the time we become adults, we've received so much programming that we have very little um, reference to who we really are at the basic level. You know, who core, is this person, core, Michael Ronin? Yeah. Who is this person, Darren Grimes? Um, and have they received um, the, the sort of conditions which uh, facilitate the fullest expression of who they are as a unique individual? So, yeah, there's, uh, what shall I say about that? When you were doing the Montessori thing, did you notice any sort of overlap with the Jungian archetypes or the Myers-Briggs personality types? Do you th did you notice any evidence for that framework? Not at the time. That's a really good question. Um, I'd have to go back and think about that, but uh, I'm very much into... I, I like the Myers-Briggs stuff and, and the Enneagram and, and all of these things which are reference points, which help us see who we are. Uh, and the, the, the flip side is that if you get attached to a particular label, then it can potentially define who you are. But um, I, I find it very, very useful. I'm, I'm an INFJ, uh, which is the, it's a, an introvert, but it's the most outgoing introvert. And I comprise 1% of the population. Um, there are only 1% of INFJs in existence. <laughs> so that kind of gives me a perspective of being on the edge of society. I get to stand back and make maps and look at how culture is formulated. I mean, you could even say I'm a cultural anthropologist with an interest in men and masculinity. But uh, so I, I, I see culture through, presently I see culture through the lens of, of masculinity because that's the most important thing for me anyway at this time. Um, but, you know, going back to true nature... And, and this is the spiritual context as well. Uh, a lot of spiritual people think that we are, um, we spring from like an ocean and we're indistinguishable from each other within this ocean until we become a drop of water which is ejected into our uh, incarnate existence. Uh, and then when we die, we go back into that ocean and then, you know, we kind of blend into all the other drops and don't have this sort of like, um, uniqueness, but I believe we never lose that aspect. Um, I used to believe that. I used to believe that part of us would melt back into that ocean, but um, I actually now 
regard it that we never lose that. It remains forever. We don't lose that part of us. And it's part of our unique soul, part of our unique identity uh, and our unique self, the unique being that um, makes me different from you and always will do. And so each one of us is this very, very unique being. And even though we're all made of this ocean, we all remain unique. So um, obviously that resonates with me. It may not resonate with um, some of your listeners who have other spiritual um, leanings, but uh, that's the premise for the conscious man. Well, most of them don't get out of the ocean in 2021, it feels like. <laughs> right. I mean, it seems like we're stuck in a state of perpetual adolescence, which is probably the reason that we're falling into those sort of labels that you're talking about is because, I mean, there's not a lot of men walking around, in my opinion. It's like one in 10. Well, I mean, I, yes, I mean, I would agree with you. <clears throat> it's, um, you know, even though we can experience life consciously, it seems that we're largely predisposed to certain scripts that we carry. And these are either internal scripts or ex external from our leaders, our society, our culture, whatever. And all of these things favor a state of unconscious thought and unconscious behavior. Um, so being, being unconscious, I would define as, as lacking free will uh, and to be operating from a place of automation. Um, which so that that kind of segues kind of nicely into what the hell is conscious what is a conscious man and so a conscious man on the flip side is is a man who has free will a man who's capable of having his own thoughts and so rather than the thoughts which have been internalized in him due to prior conditioning by others um so he's the sort of man that conducts an internal inquiry and asks himself about himself and ask himself, you know, what is my programming? What distortions do I carry? What illusions do I carry? What is, what are the ideas that are holding me hostage and that I can't see, but I have a sense that they are within me. Uh, what am I, what are the belief systems that I carry that are limiting me about myself, about um, the thoughts that are limiting me about seeing reality as it really is. Um, so I describe it as, as he is basically a private investigator, a, pri a PI of his own soul and the subconscious oh, playground. Yeah. Yeah. That's what and you put in your fun. book. I'm this quoting that out of your book. There is so much meat there. There's so much meat in this unconscious playground. You know, it's scary and dangerous to a lot of people because when they get in touch with negative feelings, they have a choice. They can either walk towards those feelings or they can run from them. They can suppress and disown those feelings. Um, so a conscious man walks towards those feelings with curiosity. Um, and yep. the more aware we are, the more our consciousness increases. And the more things make sense to us, the better the decisions we make in this world. And the more aligned we are with who we are, with the more aligned with what is, you know, the, the, the objective reality, the less delusional and the less confused we become and the, right. and the better human beings we become. And you peel away that 
you get to that acorn again, where which your yeah. true your true self, right? Hopefully, well, I mean, isn't that one of the that would be to me? It seems like one of the goals is to find that authentic self in there somewhere. Exactly. So you know, as a kid, we didn't have a chance. <laughs> we we didn't we had no skills or opportunity to walk towards that pain. We 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 were immature. Until we became mature, we never had the opportunity to do so. But once we reach adulthood, uh, then we can ask, start asking ourselves those questions. And some of the questions that you might ask is, is what happens if I strip away all of those programmings, all of those conditionings, all of those belief systems which have been implanted in me? And what remains after that? Once I've removed all the garbage that's, that's inside me, my contention is that what remains is our true nature. Yeah. Is there any way to hack that or what, what's missing? What, because I feel like we're maybe a few or a few dozen or, if, uh, you know, we're, we're within maybe at least earshot of that being more ubiquitous throughout all the cultures. And it seems like, you know, it's really started to break down over the last couple hundred years and the last couple a dozen, especially. Do you, yeah. do you think there's something missing in the modern experience? I think our masters know how to program us really well. They've been studying us a very, very long time. Um, and you know, the programming that our parents received, they pass on to us. The programming that our parents' parents received was passed on to our parents and so on. Um, we basically have to begin the journey of unpicking it all. And it's tough. It's tough. I mean, especially that there is a sense-making crisis in our world today. Um, you know, it used to be that we get all our information from the legacy media. You know, you read the newspaper in front of the fireplace a hundred years ago, and, yeah, and you would think you would understand the world because you, are, you read the newspaper and the newspaper told you what to believe. It presented a world that made sense to you. Um, and then there came this thing called the internet and suddenly a whole slew of information that was previously unavailable was made available and people began the process of waking up and discovering that some of the, the programming they received, some of the narratives they received were in fact false. Uh, and, you know, th there's always been moments in history when the curtain has been lifted up and you see, uh, the wizard of Oz. Uh, operating the levers behind the curtain, but generally speaking, they're pretty good at keeping that curtain in place. Now, the internet has made that life for them very, very difficult. It's been a, a both a blessing and a curse for humanity. Um, you know, we have our heads, uh, kids have their, their heads down in their devices for on average seven or eight hours every day. From the age of eight to 17, I think it's um, between six and eight hours. Um, and so they've, they're losing the ability to actually connect at, at the human level um, a lot of the time, you know. Uh, and we can get into that later. I mean, there's a lot of dysfunctionality. For instance, you know, ghosting is coming into common parlance is where, you know, someone, um, you maybe have a relationship with someone and then they piss you off and you ghost them. And ghosting basically means never getting in touch with them again. And usually that means through electronic media. Um, so... So where was I going with that? Yeah, uh, you're. I think Darren was trying to find out how we hack that, how we hack the 
what during the genetic coding of like just uh, the those layers of programming or well i don't know if it's like this programming and then there's comfort and then there's fear and there's just a bunch of sort of things piled on top of each other that i mean it seems like the 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 strongest men or the the best men i know or i've had the pleasure of being in touch with they kind of got there through some sort of <laughs> Uh, well, hardship darkness, or darkness or... or tragedy or some sort of initiation. real, uh, form of initiation, you know, like, and other, other people are doing it with, with breakthrough psychedelic experiences. And it just seems to be that there needs to be like a, a, a real break of a psyche to, to turn the page from just wanting to watch the TV all the time to yeah. try to create a better world for yourself and everyone around you and maybe just a better world in general at the high end of that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And, of course, how do we go about doing that? Um, of course, you have to start waking up. And, of course, what's the impetus for waking up? What's the impetus for growing up? There's a difference between those two things. Growing up is more complex um, I'm, I'm speaking about waking up in the spiritual context, but growing up is more complex than waking up. And, um, but it's as essential as waking up. And, and in the book, I largely focus on growing up, you know, developing one's character and the way you understand the world. And I touch upon waking up uh, in a subject chapter called unity consciousness, but it's important to focus on both. But this internal dialogue, what, Internal and external dialogue is very, very important. Uh, we need people to challenge us. Uh, being in a men's group, we sweetly challenge each other to um, encompass different perspectives. Um, you know, most spiritually minded people focus on their inward ex expansion of their consciousness. But this, the outward expansion exists on the same continuum as well. Um, but both are of equal importance and both, I would say, are vital in one's journey as a as conscious man. And so many people have a very, very un unbalanced approach to it. You know, um, they either think um, that if they're spiritual, then they don't, they pretty much ignore um, big stage politics uh, and, and, you know, how the world is, is shaping them. They think they're shaping themselves. They think that their dysfunctionality is a product of their own mind and nothing to do with society in which they grew up. And on the other end of the spectrum, you've got people who devote themselves to running for office or campaigning or finding out the truth. Um, you know, they're sort of, um, uh, investigative journalists or citizen journalists who focus on that end of the spectrum of bringing, that level of consciousness into public awareness and they don't focus on the spiritual side they don't go inwards for themselves both of all of this is on a continuum and i think it's necessary for, for conscious men to embrace both for a full understanding of what it is to live in this world and how civilization is shaped to enslave their minds and their productive capacities um, both how the powerful have rigged our lives to predispose us to mental confusion and mental illness uh, at the personal level, and also how they've um, rigged society to essentially 
although we don't perceive it as such, it, we, we live in a tyranny. It's presented as a modern democracy, but um, this is sm- smoke and mirrors. And I, I can talk about this later. Yeah, yeah, like. for sure. I, I also later want to get into the spiritual aspect that you talk about. I, I would call it maybe like the mindfulness trap or the power sure. of the power of positive thinking trap, like, you know, or, <clears throat> instead of taking action or whatever. So I definitely want to dig into that a little bit. But while we're still kind of dis- talking about Darren's question and the shadow work seems to be a very important part to me. And maybe, maybe what what's happened to the examples that Darren gave us is, is that unbeknownst to those men, they've been through some shadow work maybe to get out of that, you know, to get out of the, the darkness or the dark night, the soul or addiction or, or like hitting bottom or the initiation or breakthrough. Like maybe that's how it's happened a little bit. Maybe, but I, I think I worry that our lack of of it as a on a whole is what's sort of steering the whole shit. Because, I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. I like to bitch about them all day because they're fuckers and they're ruining everything. But to to a large extent, you know, we just sort of we're responsible for that. For just you know taking the easy way, not saying that thing that's gonna rock the boat. Just you know on on yeah. on times that by a fucking a couple of hundred million, a couple of dozen times a day, and you know all of a sudden we don't. I guess the point I'm trying to make is we don't get off here so easy of just of just passing the buck because you know the that you know I guess for the same reasons I mentioned before. Um, I don't know. I just feel like that's uh, a concern to, especially with the, it seems like there's a real, a real, a real, there's a problem with modern masculinity, like, like you've pointed out and it's heading in a bad direction. And I, I worry that, that, that we need to, to really take part of that is us taking, taking uh, responsibility for what we've sort of, let go in the name of security or comfort or, mm-hmm. or just taking the easy way. I mean, it's just taking yeah. the easy way instead of the authentic way. And we're all yeah. doing it at some level every day. Uh, some of us more than others. And s- some of us, you know, to a, to a bad extent that we're stuck in a life that we don't like. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy. It's easy to be unconscious. If there is a comfort in being comfortably numb to go to the Pink Floyd song. Um, Comfortably numb is is a way of coping with this world. Um, it's not easy to be a conscious man. It, you come in, you, you get to be disillusioned. And when I say disillusioned, I mean it in two senses. You you get to be free from illusion. You get to be disillusioned. You also get to be disillusioned. You get to be sad at what you see. You don't get to be numb at what you see. Um, you have to contest with it because you've woken up. Um, now, so I can see why a number of people, I, I, I actually think as a, I mean, we're, we're a polarized society in many respects, but we're also a polarized society in that more and more people are becoming unconscious and more and more people yeah, are becoming conscious I agree. as well. Yep. There's a whole, the middle is less now, I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's cause for celebration. And if you subscribe to the hundredth monkey, um, perhaps you, you're familiar yeah. familiar with that yeah. term. Um, the more conscious people there are in the world, the, the better the chance we have of making it into the sort of world we want to inhabit. 
So, you know, conscious men use any number of approaches to deal with their shadow aspects, which may include various therapies, uh, journaling or meditation or somatic practices like yoga, um, self-reflection. Being an introvert, I like solitude and journaling. And of course, I have my men's group and I've been to Peru for plant medicine ceremonies. Um, San Pedro is my favorite. I I love that substance more than ayahuasca. Ayahuasca is a sledgehammer. Um, (laughs) Try some DMT, bro. (laughs) San Pedro is is like a a gentle grandfather. Um, Anyway, so there are a number of ways for... Uh, to cultivate self-compassion and radical authenticity as a, as a conscious man. But because our society is so hugely individualistic that integrating those shadow aspects um, is, is so problematic. It, you know, um, for the most part, it's considered a personal process. It's up to you to do it. There's no support for you to come into the fullness of your being and be a full human being because our, our leaders don't want you to be. They want bricks and a wall. The educational system is there to design to produce bricks and a wall. So why should they make you the best man that you could be? So it's up to us. It's up to. It's a personal thing. It's not a collective thing. And I think that needs to change. The sort of design society we need to design uh, would include the facilitation of all men and women coming into the fullness of their beings. I don't know. I could go Mad Max too. I mean, <laughs> lately, lately, I really feel like I could go either way. <laughs> you see that 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 that's yeah that that that's I, and I I gen I definitely resonate with that. I mean, I'm a prepper, and um, you know, I I take that sort of scenario very seriously. But at the same time, that's not the sort of world I want to inhabit. Yeah. You talk but about you, that. I mean, you, you talk about these solutions in your book too. the group, mm-hmm. like the, you know, the group solution and also the, the righteous anger kind of thing, like, which sure. is, I think that's what Darren's talking about. I mean, he's got a whole chapter there about, you know, um, not just getting angry, talking about it or whatever, but there's an anger that's okay. There's a yeah. proper anger. Yeah. So there's a diff, there's two different angers. Um, there's the egoic, egoic anger, which is the sort of vapid, self-referential anger um you know when you get angry at someone for who's like crossed you in some way uh you know maybe they stole an idea from you or they cut you up in traffic or whatever um that's egoic anger and the conscious man i think would be well advised to um address that in himself and integrate it and transcend that but um there's another type of anger which is the anger that we experience uh, which involves righteous anger at the sort of world that we live in. And this anger is very different. It comes from a place of love and respect. And the root of such anger is optimism that's been frustrated. You know, looking around us, we know that there is a better world that could be brought into existence. And there's so much anger that we don't fucking live in it. You know, um, you may remember the, the movie um, Network, um, from a while, I think it was the early 70s. And one of the characters in there, Howard Beale, who was uh, the newscaster, um, his, his fame, if I can remember it, he said, all I know is that, all I know is that the first thing you've got to, the, the, I, the your, first, your quotes in all the I know is, too, yeah. is that the, you first, you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being. God damn it. My life has value. 
And that's the sort of anger that I think is beautiful and virtuous. I will stand up for my life because my life has value. Your life has value. How dare they do this to us? How dare they? Yeah. Now, there's a difference between that anger and vapid anger. Um, and a lot of, a lot of, you see that that sort of, any anger can be shamed. Um, and, uh, but th there is a worthy anger. This sort of worthy anger has a different quality from this self-satisfied, self-satisfied anger. But the message from society is that anger is a negative emotion. And how dare you be angry? You are just a toxic masculine man. Because <laughs> yeah. toxic men are angry. Or in spiritual circles, getting angry represents a vibrationally low state of being. So, dude, don't get angry because hell, you won't you won't be able to ascend. That that vibration will hold you down. Um, so I think there's nuance there, and that's part of part of what I write about in the book is that you know we can go to these extremes, but there is nuance in every single situation that we have to be aware of. Anger is neither good nor bad. Anger can trap us or it can liberate us. Yep. I love that. It's hard to, it's hard to not fall into that trap though. Once you start getting anger and negative, cause there is, it's, I find that line so thin where it's between being of better, of higher vibration. Cause I do think that is important, but not that, not all, you know, being everything and almost like maybe, I don't know, like a spiritual gangster or something, you know, where, <laughs> where you can, you can sort of tread both those in a conscious yes. way. It's, it's, yes. I don't know. Yeah, the trick is to surf your emotions and not, not be subsumed by them. To let them come, to let them inhabit your body, but to ride them like you're riding a wave on a surfboard. Yeah. And even to be able to, like, get back on the board if you fall off for a minute. Right. Yeah. So what, uh, who's doing it right? Who's, like, out there right now? Who are sort of your role models? Who, who kind of... Who, who can we be looking up to other than, yeah. of course, uh, Michael Ronan? <laughs> yeah, just Michael Ronan. Um, I actually really like uh, Russell Brand, the comedian Russell Brand. Um, he basically is a conscious man. He's interested in spirituality. He's interested in creating a better world. And um, I, I look at him as a role model. Um, you know, we're all human. We all have faults and i have faults um so it, th there is a danger in looking to gurus and role models because then we we copy them and we don't represent our true nature in this world we represent their true nature um and but given given that i uh, uh i think you know we're, we're all sovereign beings but we need to claim that sovereignty and know what it means to us and not not be carry an illusion that we are in fact um holding someone else's sovereignty in our own body someone we really admire or love um uh you know many of this i mean i, I like adia shanti for instance um but some of the i was in a sangha recently and the people there were speaking the way he spoke in these very hushed gentle reverential tones in the hope that by and somehow by osmosis they would get his enlightenment in inside them it wasn't coming from them they were um they were trying to inhabit him in order to reach their own fullness of being rather than going inside themselves and using him using using him as a map maker if you like yeah 
Fascinating. So, I mean, there's so many questions I have. Where, where do you want to go? Where do you want to go next with this? Where do you think is appropriate? Uh, let's see. I guess I could. Well, there are, as you know, there are so many areas that we cover in the book. I could talk about. Um, let's talk about feminism. Let's talk about something you know, hot button. Um, so, sure. feminism. I, I used to be a feminist. I, I was a feminist for a good thirty years of my life. And so, first of all, I have to say that I place an emphasis on men and women treating each other with respect and compassion and kindness. And my, my, my interest is how we go about producing a culture which fosters um, well-adjusted human beings. That's number one. Um, but I, I came to the conclusion that um, I believe that feminism... Uh, would bring that sort of society around. I thought that it would bring about a fairer, kinder world uh, once the inequalities between the sexes had been addressed. Uh, but then, I, then I, I either grew up or woke up, I don't know. But I felt, I, I, I suddenly realized I, was, I had been conned by feminism. And... Um, could, it, could it have also been, sorry to interrupt, could it have also been that itch, it, it, it was co-opted along the way? Actually, I've done the research on this, and it's, it's always been okay, um, okay, so, a movement yeah. for female supremacy yeah, from the very, very earliest days, from um, their original manifesto, if you like. Uh, but, of course, they present their struggles as a struggles for equality. Um, and, but, you know, consciousness involves seeing things as they really are, and the feminist movement adversely affects my, men's life circumstances. And that's why I devote a whole chapter of my book into it. In fact, of all the things that are out there, I would say the most deleterious in terms of men's lived experience day to day is, is feminism and how its effects have rippled out into society. So I'm, that's the, I'm, I'm choosing to focus on feminism for, for that simple reason, um, because of the real world implications that it has. Especially over the last few years, I guess, probably with along yeah, well, along with the rest of the sort of in identity politics and intersectionalization right. and all that, uh, right? It seems like it's 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 not really organic. It's coming from some something that doesn't want us to continue with the way Western civilization is going. Yeah, it's been co-opted like so many other movements. Um, I mean, I write in the book about how the ruling elite fan the flames of dysfunctionality in society in order to divide and conquer us. Um, feminism is no different. They see feminism as a proxy war uh, between men and women. Uh, they want it to be a proxy war, but it's, it's essentially that's what it is. It's, not, it, it's just a way of dividing us because historically men and women have cooperated with each other, however dysfunctionally. Um, and uh, now it's a multi-million dollar industry. There, if you do a Google, I mean, you might want to do it now. Do a Google, Google search, uh, how to fight feminism. Anybody at home, just put that in the search engine, how to fight feminism. I guarantee you, every single search result that comes up will return uh, a search result which is pro-feminist. I guarantee it. Oh, I'm in, uh, 
I'm in br the Brave browser, though. That might be different. I didn't Google it. I, uh, okay. I duck, duck, go it. So. Oh, you fucking <laughs> can't I duck, it. duck, go it. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Because what came up was uh, a voiceformen.com. Oh. And the swaddle.com. And, swaddle and then women, the women fighting against feminists. So the, the key what's is the like, don't com? use Google. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> what's the swaddle.com? I don't know. I don't know, Click on I'll, it. I'll, see what happens. Okay. Yeah, let me do that here. Oh, Sounds like a party. Oh, my God. My computer's in a swaddle party. Or something. You've been clicking again, on, arg arguments on too many oh, swaddle oh, websites. Yeah, this you might... got a bunch of viruses. All the arguments you need to convince doubters of feminism. So Damn. Yeah. Ah, Damn. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. I'm so happy. Yeah, I guess by comparison, we should do it with Google. Wait, what is it? Wait, say that title again. Well, it said all the arguments you need to convince doubters of feminists. So this is, you're right. This is. Uh, um, all right. Well, yeah, let's try, let's try and convince Michael. <laughs> What's the first argument? Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to go. No, 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 I'm no. going to Google it. For let's try and convince Michael. Okay. Let's see okay. if it works. Maybe he'll throw out <laughs> this whole chapter. Maybe they, maybe they'll change my mind. Yeah. He's like second edition. I and I wrong. can withdraw the book from yeah, publication. That's it. Stop. Stop the presses. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't. Uh, I, can't, no, I, can't do, I can't. I can't do it. I can't. I'm too confused right now on this whole thing. I, I can't do it. <laughs> well, like you were saying, you, you were asking about um, the history of feminism and, and if it's always been uh, the way it is now. And um, Okay. <laughs> Hang on, sorry. Okay. <laughs> this is the difference. So I Google it, and the top one that comes up, of course, is the Atlantic, and it says, how anti-feminism is the gateway to the far right? I mean, ah, this is like, uh -huh. they're, they're already like calling us far right just for talking about it. Okay. What is what is I feminism got... fighting? No, men are not the enemy. What is the problem with feminism? Mark Manson, that came up. Arguments against feminism and like how Mark to refute Manson. them. So that's what the, uh, that's what the swaddle is that I, that I missed before. Uh -huh. So it's saying, okay. how do you refute the arguments against feminism? So they're teaching right. people to, to <laughs> argue, you know, with, with us basically, or with you. Mark Manson does drive me crazy half of the time, but the other half of the time he seems brilliant yeah they've got the council of europe here petite to queen what do feminists actually still fight for today south korean men are fighting against feminism cnn anyways i wonder if we're far it is, right it now. is quite it is quite a different i got called that. racist the other day did you okay. I, you can't be racist you're I know. not white i know this is what i thought i you know what i said i posted a picture of my uh my downed moose from the moose hunt. Yeah. And, uh, your masculinity. My, uh, yeah. Coming right through that picture. Yeah. It's too masculine. <laughs> so, uh, they asked if it made me feel tough or, uh, dominant or something like yeah, that. Yeah. And I said, it mostly makes me feel like a fat Indian. <laughs> and then they called me a racist Donald Trump supporter. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So then I tweeted. Did they really call you a Donald Trump supporter? Yes. This is it's getting so <laughs> bad that if you even put any anti-mask stuff out, they call you conservative. Oh, yeah. Like it's really yeah. that's what's happening. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah. This is like really I'm what's an going anarchist. on. And you know what you should have said? You should have said, I feel safe for the winter. 
with that moose. Actually, he apologized the next day. Did he really? I would, next, I posted a picture of my status card that says Certificate of Indian Status. <laughs> <laughs> Equals can't be racist. Equals can't be racist. This is it. <laughs> he apologized the next day, said he was drunk. Wow. So I forgave him. Yeah. We moved on. Well, uh, you might say that was very, uh, um, for him to come up and apologize like that is, uh, conscious, conscious. There you go. Do you agree, Michael? Yeah, very much. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's get back into feminism. Then I think we should finish okay. off that, that part of the chat. Sorry for derailing okay. you there. No, that's okay. There's just one other point that I wanted to make while, and before we move on to another subject. Um, you were asking about the history of feminism, and um, even even historically, feminism has been anti-man. And one of the examples I give is the, the White Feather Movement. There was actually a movie made about this, um, kind of a Lawrence of Arabia-type movie. I forget the name of it, but um, the, the White Feather Movement was where you, you, you had... Um, groups of women who were uh, roaming the streets of London, and I'm sure other cities as, as well, but probably uh, uh, London the, during during World War One. And what they would do is that they would look for men, young men, men of an age for conscription. Uh, and if they saw one who was out of uniform, they would pin a white feather on that man in order to shame him and humiliate him for not enlisting in the war. Um, and then you have, so that, that was first wave feminism uh, and second wave feminism. You, you got the likes of Gloria Steinem and Betty Friedan, who, um, they, they actually attacked women rather than men. They, they went after the, the, um, the housewife in order to shame her to entering, uh, entering the workforce because women, women, their task in this new world was to usurp the role of the male and not focus on motherhood, not focus on uh, being a wife, a stay-at-home wife, because, you know, her, her special talents and qualities would be hidden from the wider world. Um, you know, no matter if those women wanted to inhabit those gender roles, um, the, the feminists were, were strongly uh, attacking those, those particular women um, because by... Sticking in those gender roles, they made the, the task of feminists competing with men in the workplace that much harder. Weren't they connected with the CIA too? Is that am I thinking that right? Gloria Steinem and them. I thought there was some people talking about uh, her being funded or connected to the CIA. Oh, that's very interesting. I haven't come across that. I'd be interested in if you have anything on that. But yeah, no, I'll, I I'll, let, I'll, let, I'll that. let you know. I'm I'm pretty sure I've heard that. What wave are we on now? <laughs> well, it's getting confusing. Um, it's the third wave or the fourth wave, depending upon how you look at it and how you define it. And, you know, it kind of gets to a point where it's so ridiculous that um, it doesn't really matter uh, because, um, you know, third wave feminism is, so, is, is broadly concerned with catastrophizing women's experience um, and catastrophizing all the little slights um, that they might receive at the hands of men, like mansplaining and man-interrupting, uh, man-spreading, oh. telling telling mildly blue jokes um, to such an extent that th they'll go after his job, they'll go after his reputation. 
And they've done it. They've done it to numerous men, which I detail in the book. Um, and they're, they're basically focusing on these minor transgressions because there's nothing left to fight for. They've achieved material equality. More, more, more than that, they have some privileges that men don't have, especially in family court, um, especially in sentencing. Um, sentencing disparities exist between the genders. Men, men are given longer sentences than women for the same crime. And if we live in an equalized society, why would that be the case? Um, you know, retirement, look at retirement age. There's a difference there between the sexes. Women, are, they can retire earlier than men. What, why? Why is that? Um, so, so, many, so there are many, many privileges that women experience, is, experience that men don't. Um, but modern-day feminists have no, interested, no interest in equalizing those privileges for women. They just want more privileges. We could just leave it at equal. And just let everyone do what exactly. they want. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's yeah. a Graham, couple things. There's a Graham couple is things a here. Heavy man spreader. I, I know. Say. I want to talk about that. He like takes it to the. I next want to talk level. about that because my like legs do not the go the other way. <laughs> this is a problem I have with this. I'm short and st- stocky, right? And my legs open like that, and I, it hurts to close them. Oh yeah, I could see him it getting to, some guff. He's it, like a can opener. It hurts to close. Like that's the way I sit. That's the way they go. It's not like I'm doing that on purpose. For me to go like that, I could it see hurts. your testicles in between there. You should get looser pants. It hurts. <laughs> it hurts to do that. After a while, your Where muscles, my muscles don't. Where does they it don't hurt? sit like that in in my legs? Because like, the like thighs you're match your the calves. It's a terrible. It's the worst fucking thing I've ever heard. This man spreading bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it drives me bonkers. So I here, know, this, this is interesting. So you wouldn't Glo- be allowed Gloria, on the bus. Gloria Steinem, how the CIA used feminism to destabilize. So there's oh, wow. a there's a there's a save the males.ca thing here, and there's also all the, all that's interesting.com. I'm just reading like the headline type thing. But before she was the face of the second wave feminism, she was the anti-communist operative for the CIA and went undercover with Playboy to expose the <laughs> wow. misogynistic practices. She wow. was a journalist and activist who rose to prominence as a stylish front woman of the women's liberation movement of the seventies. Um, but there's a lot of, there's a ton of articles about, did the CIA use her to subvert the feminist movement? Did she really work for the CIA? Of course, you're going to get all these fact checks that are probably really fun to fun to deconstruct. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that would make yeah. sense if feminism sort of started to get equal rights, and then uh, and then the state comes in and they're like, "Now we got to get these bitches working. We need those tax dollars, <laughs> and we need the division. We need the the divide and conquer." I mean, I think that seems to be the most important thing at this point. Is we're divided, we're chopped up and divided into so many ways right now. Some of the chops reunite, though. That they don't, yeah, but they don't. Not enough. Not there's enough. Two other. There's too many other polarizations There's too many other chops. Chip, yeah. chop, chop, chop. Yeah. It's a shame. Like that's what I was hoping for. That this, like the vaccine push, would reunite too many. Uh, you know, all these factions would sort of unite, mm. but it, it doesn't yeah. seem to be. It's just further shattered. Yeah. You know, part of the reason for that is that men are, uh, like I said, are experiencing a crisis of masculinity because of this drip, drip, drip. A war against men um and you know modern men are now having a hard time of finding a way to be in the world that makes sense to them um and you know the millennials uh, they, they have so many i feel so bad for them i i, I this is one of the reasons i wrote, write the book it's personal as well i i personally have so much um 
empathy for their experiences um, and the struggles that they're going through that 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 we didn't never experience. You know, they're they're dealing with social, financial, academic, spiritual, sexual issues that that we never did and they don't have the the maturational ability to deal with them because they were brought up in single parent households usually single mother um they've been products of a dumbed down educational system um and most of the most of the conversation um that takes place is around traditional masculinity that focuses on um masculine norms masculine traits which are, p- are perceived as harmful or violent or toxic to those around them um yet you know you know you can look at you can look at it a number of ways and again i, I present a nuanced perspective of this I, I i i look at how modern men have been conditioned and i also look at how traditional men were conditioned because you know um traditional men in their times, were an asset to society. They um, they they were the builders of civilization. They went to wars, in, in, went to war, and died in the millions. Um, they were there for us. They were there to be a resource to defend, protect, and provide for women, kids, and country. You know, th- these were good men. These were traditional men, but they also had a shadow aspect of their own, and. Um, traditional men were, they, they had the qualities, you know, they would sacrifice themselves. They, they, they felt a sense of duty. They had this industriousness, all of that's great. Um, but they were so busy surviving and protecting and fighting and gathering resources, uh, in the workplace and on the battlefield that they left their hearts behind, um, they 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 were they they were all spine and no heart think of john wayne you know it's like that that kind of gruff macho male you know the the all spine and no heart and then you get the 60s where you get uh, a complete flip around you get men who dress in long flowing robes and wear wooden beads grow their hair long wear necklaces and flowers in their hair and dance to to sweet music in circles and the, these were men who were all heart and no spine. You know, the pendulum pendulum swung the complete opposite direction. So historically, men have been trying to find themselves for a very long time. We've become dissociated from what it is to be a man, not just recently, but historically as well. And now the millennials have to deal with this cancel culture, and there's no path to redemption for the canceled sinners. You know, that's the other, the other part of it. I mean, imagine how you have to tread so lightly, no matter what, you know, what you do now. And I mean, you gotta, oh, it's just. Yeah. It, they have to walk on eggshells. Yeah. You know, and they're now internalizing this, this, um, label of to- being a toxic man, toxic masculinity. Their very identity is tied to that phrase. And, and if they're white, they're, they're racist. They're to carry themselves in this world. And if they're white, they're uh, racist automatically. Yeah, they're privileged. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, I feel such such. Uh, I feel so bad for them to be to to be alive now and to having to navigate their way through this world, which is one of the reasons I wrote this book. Um, you know, uh, they don't. I mean, maybe we used to, maybe we used to derive a sense of our manhood from our fathers or from other men, but 
these guys may never have encountered a male role model in their lives if they grew up with a just with their mother or in a school where most of the teachers were female um if they did have a father and you know there and there was divorce and the father didn't get any custody rights they never got to find out what it is to be a man and perhaps their mother uh, poisoned their minds against him so that they began began to see him as toxic you know there's just so much dysfunctionality yeah uh it's uh good to think about um and then there's the part about i mean we could sort of segue a little bit into the trap of spiritual the new age kind of spiritual positive thinking and mindfulness because you talked about the that started probably a lot of it or at least accelerated in the 60s with the flowers and the hair and all that and let's just be mindful and positive yeah. and and uh, at what peril right at what how do we balance mindfulness which would help create discernment which is very important especially right now but mindfulness to become conscious but not to become uh, sedentary or passive when we should be right. righteously angry for example yeah 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 of course you know the in the marketplace anything can be monetized and mindfulness is no exception um you know people want to be mindful and um there's money to be made in that by offering them services uh i talk about um the chinese persecution of buddhist monks in tibet um and of course how the tibetan monks then had to flee tibet but the good the good part of that is that they, the, the diaspora went to every single corner of the globe and brought with them insights about mindfulness oh, and about meditation. Interesting. Yeah, um, I never thought about yeah. like that. Yeah. So this is great. But, but of course, then it starts to get monetized because we live in, in a capitalist system. There's money to be made. So you can make money on mindful meditation. And what it does it, is it takes people away from critically appraising the world around them and makes them focus on their inner world. Um, it, and it's just a more evolved way of coping with the ravages of capitalism. Um, you know, and that's a problem with Eastern religions, in my view, because most of those religions suggest that the causes of our own suffering are internal, they're self-generated. And it's, it's simply our attitudes which cause us pain. And there's very little focus placed on our political and economic and cultural systems which shape the way that we live in 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 a world which is fast and furious and stressful you know human beings were not meant to have the this unbearable these unbearable stress loads in their lives and part of the shadow aspect of mindfulness is that it allows human beings to withdraw from the outer realm into the inner realm and to escape it's a form of escapism they get to escape from the wider world which is causing them unhappiness and simply focus on their own inner peace if it can be achieved um so anyway it's tough it's tough but there but there's a but there is a balance there because i mean there is a like it does help with discernment i mean it does help to 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 not get trapped in the negative self 
yes. thinking and all the, well, all, yeah, the all, all the perils that come along with not being mindful or conscious, you know, but yeah, I also want to make a point that I think even in your book, you mentioned it too, capitalism, it's more of the control system. I think that you're saying that we're escaping from capitalism just happens to be that what is in place right yeah. now. Right. Yeah. The, the market mechanism, I guess I should really say um, that, uh, you know, we, we live in a world where we produce goods and services for profit to make money. And if you can, if you can monetize something, then it will be monetized and mindfulness is no exception. Right. I mean, speaking of Buddhist monks, like that T Quang dude, like burned himself in fucking Vietnam and didn't even flinch. Yeah. And, uh, so, I mean, talk about like mastery over everything, exactly. everything right. over right. suffering, over, yes. over pain, all physical of that pain. Stuff. I mean, they can melt, melt the ice. I mean, they can do all kinds of stuff just by their mind, you know, the power of their mind. I mean, but yeah, I can see it being a trap as well, you know? Yeah. 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 There's a, there's a marketplace for consumers but it's a good start i mean because there's going to be a bunch of people that are like well i can't fucking do this i got this going on and that going on you know it's a place to start maybe you can't fix your your external circumstances right now but you can start working on your internal circumstances like this second yeah and 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 teasing out those facts and emotions like i've got some notes here about the shadow work you talk about and like we do have to discern fake emotions from real emotions and facts. And, and, you know, I think mindfulness can help with that. Yes. Yes, absolutely. This is a, this is a tool that, that the conscious man has in his arsenal. And, um, although I, I, you know, again, it's about nuance. I, I talk about both sides of the same coin. Um, you have to be aware that, um, it, well, look, take for instance, the, the medical industrial complex, this is not about <laughs> making people well. This is about keeping people sick and making money off it. But you could apply the same paradigm to the mindfulness industry. It's not about creating a world where we don't have to deal with the, the overwhelming stress. It's about having to deal with the stress in an overwhelming world. Right. That's a good way to put it. So, I mean, I do want to get into controlling the control system a little bit. I think advice for single men and uh, and and being cautious uh, about getting into relationships and, and how to break up. Maybe there's some advice there. And then, of yeah. course, uh, the path forward. Um, those are some things that I definitely want to touch on before we run out of time. So, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Where would you like to start? Maybe. Uh, the con controlling the control system, which we were kind of just talking about, but you do have a good, I mean, I, the thing I liked about your book is you do talk about both sides of things. It's not just very dogmatic one way. It's a lot of, it seems like common sense to me. It feels like it really resonates with just as truth, you know, but, yeah, yeah. but we're stuck in this matrix and you, and, and it surprised me how much you got into that a little bit about the controlling elite and the, and the system mm -hmm. that we're in. And the, so I guess, I've got a note here, just controlling the control system, I guess maybe getting into some of that. I mean, once we become awakened, you, you did mention it's hard. It, it's the, the disillusion is difficult. It can be saddening. It can be yes. overwhelming sometimes. I mean, I, yeah. I just get that feeling going to Safeway after I podcast and I see a bunch of people just scared in masks still in, in June right now. And I, and it's just yeah. like, I have to try and insulate myself from, from that. 
I guess that would be a, a sort of a practical example of what we're dealing with every day now. Yeah, yeah, there's so many different things to... Well, I mean, as far as um, the lockdowns and the mask wearing and um, the whole COVID thing, uh, you know, I have my perspective on this. I didn't write about it specifically in the book, but what I did yeah, talk about you, was... Yeah, you touched on it, yeah. I, I touched on politicized medicine. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's what it's become. Um, you know, there is... So, what we have to realize is that... Um, being able to fully understand the circumstances in which we live is very, very difficult because our masters who master the control system don't want us to know. They hide a lot of the information from us. Um, you know, and all we can do is peek around the edges of the curtain and, and try and figure out what the hell is going on. So if, if anybody thinks they know exactly um, how the whole COVID situation came to be, um, what preparations were made ahead of time, how the political elites, um, what their game plan was, um, then, you know, I take that with a grain of salt. I'm curious about it. But um, because of this veil of secrecy on every aspect of our existence, which exists, we can never fully understand everything. And again, that's coming back to the nuance of it. We, we do our best, but we understand that if we have a... a a 100% certainty about our condition, then we're probably wrong. Yeah. So that, so the advice for that would be then try and discern or try, try not to, to attach to, to narratives, outcomes. I mean, which is what we, we try and do here all the time. I mean, it's a, but it's a constant battle of trying to be aware or um, insightful about things without being sure, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's what we just have to, we have to just be curious and we have to be rigorous. Both of those things at the same time, you know, it's very easy to buy into, we understand that we're being fed bullshit most of the time. And certainly, you, certainly the three of us do. Um, so there is a temptation to look at alternative information as being more um, authoritative and that's a trap we can fall into as well. Yeah. Um, you know, again, it's having to make, well, there is a sense-making crisis going on right now. Um, it's, we're presented with, it's very interesting because like I was saying before, you know, we'd get, we would read the newspaper and that would give us our news and then we would have, we could make sense of the world because the, the world was presented to us, to us in a sensible way. Nowadays, there is such a glut of information out there most of which is bullshit. The um, the story of our times is not uh, the story of our times is is uh, trying to prune away all that useless information to find good information. Good information is out there, but accessing it in if you have to read a hundred articles in order to get to the hundred and first article, which is any good, then you've wasted so much of your time, and that that's a problem. There's a, there is um, a problem with, if you like, free speech in that sense, because people are free to peddle false narratives, to peddle bullshit. 
and it takes bandwidth in order to process that bullwhip bullshit and i don't have time in my day to do it it's better at least you're getting two sides if there's free speech you get two sides of bullshit and not one that gets well, you, to get, control. you get a hundred you get a hundred shades of bullshit. yeah 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 that's true but i mean at least it's all there i mean i the problem i have with the with the censorship and the way it's going right now is is they're in control of the all the bullshit narratives sure. more more so than they should be i'd rather have it open open source <laughs> Yeah, in a way, yeah. but I mean, not that we have time either way to do that. But that's that's kind of my issue with it. I mean, I, I mean, I welcome I welcome the amount of information that's out there, but I want a way to pass through it quickly, in order to get to the meat and not have to filter out all that bullshit. Mm-mm. We're just gonna keep burying the meat, bro. That's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're not even gonna know what the fuck's meat anymore and what's right. fake meat pretty soon. <laughs> Yeah, I'll know because I shot that shit. <laughs> Probably get yeah. some emails. I mean, for yeah, that. there's something about. I mean, that kind of gets into. Do we even pay attention to it? I mean, do we even give it our attention? I mean, what? Why? Why should we just? Why shouldn't we just ignore all that internet and our black mirrors and and do what Darren's doing and go out in the woods and hunt for your food for the winter and just focus on you know. Was then then. We're at the we're at their mercy. Yeah. They 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 control the landscape of thinking, the landscape of thought. The, the most important real estate on the planet is the space between your ears. And if if you allow them to occupy that space, either because you've you're you've opted out of the system, or you've zoned out, or you've embraced uh, comfortable numbness, then they win. So. Okay. Our thoughts, but, uh, our ideas. but is other people's real estate my problem? <laughs> I mean, yeah. if my real estate sure. is is clear, can I just like you know have a time? If you if, this is this is um, one of the premises of my book. You know, we can either operate as individuals doing our own little thing and exercising our own sovereignty on a, in our own little oneness of space, or we can cohere as a species. Now, my contention is that um, in order to make this world better, we need to cohere as a species. See, I would contend that if we would all just do the individual thing fucking <laughs> properly, the world would be a better place. <laughs> I mean, uh, maybe it's six, a, of maybe it's six or one and right half, half a dozen of, of the other, but I feel like, you know... <laughs> There's a bunch of people flinging shit and their yard is full of shit. And it's just like, if you just cleaned your yard, I, I shouldn't even say, oh boy, yeah. <laughs> wrong analogy. That no, no, that's be, fine. Well, it's like the Jordan Peterson thing now. That's fine. But it's just like, you know, it's just, it's just your, everyone's shit's such a mess, but they still think they know best. And if you just like worried about getting your shit together and being the best you know, Darren you can be or fill in the blank and making the world better for you and those in your immediate vicinity better, then everything would sort of take care of itself. If we weren't just spending so much time worried about other people and more time worried about our personal sovereignty. And and I'll add to that, our personal responsibility for the earth, for the world, for our civilization, you know, no, but, but that's my personal responsibility sure. for my part of the world, not my sure. responsibility for what the fuck my neighbor's up to. 
because yeah. that to me is just too slippery of a slope into into communism or some sort of totalitarian I, I, you know and i know that's not where you're getting at but yeah, yeah. it just seems like you know and maybe that's probably my own biases creeping in but <laughs> it just seems like i don't want anyone to be worried about what darren's up to Right. Unless Darren asks, you know, hey, Graham, I need some help. I'm having a hard week. I don't need Graham yeah, yeah. just button in. You know, it's like, fuck off. That's going to make our relationship weird. You know, uh, I guess that would be my concern with that sort of cohesion thing. But I do think we have to get there some at some point. Yeah, this is the But I think part that starts with personal responsibility. Sure. I get what you're saying. And I, I, I definitely resonate very much with personal sovereignty. Um, for myself and for every other conscious man. Um, I also recognize that um, we are a hyper-social species, hyper-social. You know, we, we actually need each other. Um, and the history of humankind has been the history of progressive atomization um, and has come to a crescendo in the 20th and 21st century. We now experience our lives solely and uniquely in terms of our own life, not in terms of other people's life. And it's epitomized by the work of um, Ayn Rand, who viewed the self-made man, the self-sufficient man, the self-sovereign man, as the pinnacle of, of the human experience. And, you know, the comfortable illusion was that this man could break free of the world in which he found himself and, and claim his space and create his reality. Or what of course, in the 1950s, when we were going through a period of economic expansion, that very much reflected that reality. But um, it, it, the bubble popped, and now we've, ever since then, gone through progressively longer and longer periods of contraction. So what happens is that that self-made man experiences every failure as a, fail as a personal failure, his failure because he's not able to master his own particular environment. He is to blame for the predicament he finds himself in. He is only himself to blame. But for the conscious man, I believe, it, there, there is a merging there. There is a nuance. His path is to be the author of his own life at the same time as acting compassionately for his family, his lover, his community, um, in an ever-widening circle, going out outwards to embrace um, humankind and realizing that he brings the best version of himself to the game of life and that his failures are not necessarily his own. It could be his own. He, maybe he hasn't done his own work, but they're not just his own failures. They're also the um, circumstances, his life circumstances he finds himself within. And so I think the human project needs to recognize both two missions. We need the mission of becoming the fullest version of ourselves, and we need the mission of creating the best possible conditions for that acorn to grow into an oak tree. That makes sense. What if the acorn's just a dog fucker, though, and he just, you know, he's just bitching all the time, and he's just like, I don't even want to be an oak tree. I just want to be an acorn forever. Can we just ignore them? Well, I mean, that, um, I have, that there's a conception that we are born in sin, and that potentially would reflect that sort of philosophy, that some people are just born to be that sort of person. And I, I don't share that view. I, I share the view that we are born 
um, inhabiting that there is a there is an inherent virtue and goodness to mankind which has been perverted by our control systems. I so would I think say that there's... once you once you remove oh. those control systems, you won't get that sort of individual. But wouldn't I mean then? How would the shadow manifest if? Well, that's it. I mean, we, we, we're always going to have shadows, but um, the, the, there is so much degradation of the human spirit that the shadows we now occupy are enormous. The, these, are, these are ghosts walking around inside our bodies, clanking their chains, demanding our attention. Even from past genetic, I mean, you do mention examples of your, uh, in the book of the, the, the trauma survivors of the um, the Holocaust. I mean, it, 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 it's also, you're carrying, you're carrying those from past generations as well. Yeah. So I make a hypothesis that, um, th so what you're talking about is called uh, generational trauma. Yeah. And, uh, my hypothesis is that, um, this is multi-generational trauma. So essentially, um, since the dawn of agriculture, when, um, we, over the last few millennia, we have experienced a civilization as we know it um, developing more and more unfavorably as a response to the accumulated and un unintegrated shadow aspects and stress and trauma yeah, of this that's, existence. That's really interesting. Um, and we so, used to be able to handle it at some point, I feel like, or, or there's, there's a way to handle it, but we're not doing a very good job of it. Well, the way to handle it is to grow a healthy nervous system. And um, it's not just automatically given to us. We're not born with a healthy nervous system. And why we don't have a healthy nervous system is because we're unable to process stress. Stress produces, excessive stress produces trauma. And trauma is anything, uh, let me see, anything that is too much, too soon or too fast for our nervous system to handle. I think that's the definition of it. Yeah. Um, so we have to be able to put those stresses to bed, to de-escalate them in our bodies. And because we live in this sort of fast and furious world, we're unable to do so. And that creates all sorts of dangerous neurophysiological responses in our bodies that, we, that persist from generation to generation. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that. And there was a time or there was some cultures that had a way to deal with that stress through that, you know, physical shaking or something. You mentioned some, right. uh, some, you know, something in your book about that. Yeah. Yeah. This is something we really don't know. But human beings, just like any other mammal, we are uh, programmed to shake our stresses away. And, you know, how, when was the last time you shook your stress away? When was the last time I did? Or anybody. And yet, when you look at the animal kingdom, um, this was from Robert Sapolsky's book, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. Um, what they do is they shake with fear and they shake off fear and they dump adrenaline out of their system. They, they take about 30 minutes to do that. And what that does is it downregulates their nervous system <laughs> and puts them back to a baseline of functionality. They have to go through this. Otherwise, um, they uh, continue to be on edge 24-7. And the only animals that n no longer shake, the only, the only mammals that no longer shake are um, zoo animals, domestic animals, laboratory animals, 
and human animals. And what correlates them is that they're all caged. They're, they are in alienating environments. They're taken out of their natural environment and caged. Even though we're and, sort of feel-free, we're still caged. Yeah, yeah, we have shackles on us that we can't see. Um, these human beings are caged by society. Um, and so we're, we're living in pathological conditions where our emotions become frozen at the cellular level. Yeah, that's, I, I really like that. That's fascinating. And then, so Darren, Darren's example about the, you know, the, the people that just, he's like, well, they're, they're not worth our attention anymore because they're just not going to, they're not going to participate. So just let them go. But, well, you're looking at modern human beings. The, yeah. These are human beings who've grown up in the control system, who have grown up with dysregulated nervous systems. And if you're supposing that that represents human beings' natural, uh, true nature, or um, then I, I would definitely contest that. I yeah. think that these are alienated, uh, abnormal human beings that you're talking about. I'm not supposing that anything. I'm just saying <laughs> that, they're, that they're not my problem. I, I guess my point is that my attention is valuable to me. And yeah. and that you know to a certain extent it needs to be earned. You know, like I can't just be worrying about everything all the time. I feel right. like I don't know. Well, well I don't think to, worrying is ever the answer, but maybe yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Concerning myself. Well, yeah. I think that's just it. I mean, I don't think I should be concerned with with anything but me or mine or, or I mean, and, and if I am, then I guess you've become, you know, in that circle of care and you probably don't get back out of it. You know what I mean? I mean and I'm a pretty nice guy. Like I'll, I'll help you if I see you broken down. I don't fight with people. I don't yell. I, I'm a, I'm a, I like to consider myself a pretty grounded individual, but uh, I mean, I can't be worried about everybody all the time. I got my own shit to worry about. I mean, it's a full time job keeping my shit. Together. No, but it's it's also an interesting time right now where 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 you're you're kind of you know you're prepping as well, right? Like you, we're at a time where we have to start realizing like what what if I'm not if I'm not prepared, how am I going to help anybody else prepare? It's kind of like putting the oxygen mask on sure. yourself first. It's yeah. like you you if if other people get their water when your bucket's overflowing yeah. not because you're dumping out bits of bucket it's like this motherfucker taking all my water every fucking week and i barely got any for myself and you know you that's the danger i think of of getting into that of of putting the other people ahead of yourself and i mean you got it with your kids and stuff like that and it's going to come up here and there where you need to but i really think that uh if if you if you build a strong you, then when that does come up, you'll be in a better position to sort of just help by association. It's sort of like that. It's like the Canadian healthcare system, you know, it's like, it's forced. It's great. We all pay into it until you need something done. And then it's like, ah, fuck, I got to go to America. <laughs> <laughs> what else you got, Graham? Well, we wrap I mean, I, I guess I just would like his Michael's closing thoughts or I guess a path forward. Like we talked about it a bit now, just going back and forth. And and uh, but what can what can some of us do like um, physically or, or, or even just online? Or I mean, I don't know, like what I feel like we're in such a weird time right now where mm. 
you know, I think prepping, being conscious to at least talk to your loved ones. I don't like the ones. word prepping. I know. I don't like it either. It just but, seems but, so like. But, but say, let's say like just preparing. Preparing? <laughs> <laughs> Fle- yeah. Uh, response ability. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I have I have a fantasy, um, and uh, <laughs> you know the movie The Matrix, where um, Neo goes and does his training on the Ebenezer, the the ship in the Matrix. Yeah, uh, we need we conscious men need an Ebenezer. We need somewhere to go where we can learn how to do jujitsu, learn how to do you know um, superhuman skills, if you like, learn how to be the fullest version of ourselves without. Um, interve- intervention from the matrix without the sentinels finding us, finding us. Um, that would be my call of action to any conscious man listening to this is to e- each and every, every one of you to either create or find an Ebuchadnezzar. Um, you know, I, I'm currently doing an eight week course online within something similar, which is, um, run by uh, the YouTube channel Rebel Wisdom. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it, I love it, that that channel, yeah. Yeah, it's called the Live Player course. And you could even you could basically call it the Conscious Player course, but it, they, they like to call it the Live Player. And essentially what they're doing is, is um, this sort of training, training for higher-order um, human beings, not, not in the sense of being superior to other human beings, but in, in creating the sort of human being that can contest with the metacrisis, with the sense-making crisis, uh, with the interpersonal relationship crisis, with the cancel culture, the woke crisis, all of this sort of thing. Yeah. How you can create human beings to walk in this world and deal with that sort of bullshit and crap. Me, I, I as you know, I... I've, I, I consider us a hypersocial species. I want us to come together around creating a world for fully functional, fully integrated, fully realized individuals as the premise for our coexistence. And that, that to me is, is, um, that's the beauty. That's the beauty, the more beautiful world my heart desires. And in order for that to happen, I think we need to replace the current global economic system, which places profit before people, uh, replace it with something more evolved. I think we need to recognize our trauma patternings as a species and as individuals, um, you know, and recognize, let's come back, let's come back to masculinity. Um, the world as it's been created has, um, a man is judged by what he does for society. He's a human be- he's a human doing, he's not a human being. Um, I want to see a, a world where we are human beings. Men are human beings. Little, there's so little empathy or consideration that's given to men simply for being a virtuous man. Um, you know, being a virtuous man doesn't fucking pay the bills. We don't get paid for that. It doesn't compete with getting shit done. Um, but conscious men would do well to work towards that sort of world where we create the fundamental conditions for a society which... You know, well, let's say we could monetize. If we could monetize wisdom, authenticity, integrity, compassion, courage, if we got paid for for uh, for um, internalizing those qualities within us, if if we were paid to do that, but we're not. We're paid to produce shit. We're paid to work for people. So, you know, we need to re. 
align our values as a species and actually create optimized human beings rather than optimized market system. Excellent. Well said. Where can our listeners track you down if they want to uh, get some more Michael Ronan? Are you any of those social medias or website? I do have a website. I really don't like social media because it's where people go to become the shittiest versions of themselves. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a race to the broad- bottom of the brainstem with most of them uh, because of the algorithms there. So uh, I do have a website, michaelronin.net, and uh, my book is available on Amazon, uh, Modern Masculinity for the Conscious Man, Making Sense in Troubled Times, uh, audiobook coming soon. Self-narrated. Uh, yeah, self-narrated. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun getting into this. Excellent. Um, but, you know, it, I, Darren, you were saying that about your personal experience. I, I think you were selling yourself short because what you're doing along with uh, Graham is is a podcast which, which brings knowledge to the masses. You are reaching out to your fellow man. You are hyper-social. This is good work that good you're point. doing. You're not, you're not just in this for yourself. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Well, I might Do be. this for eight years. Well, I yeah. might be. <laughs> You're a good man, Darren. No, that's a good, that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. No, this has been an awesome chat. I really like it. And your book was fantastic. We recommend it to people for sure. And, and I like how you hit everything straight up in the book. And um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff we didn't even cover, but uh, people can go. It's a, it's a long book too. How many pages is it? It was hard to tell Uh, in the. uh, Yeah. It's about 420. Yeah. yeah, Something like that. It's a big, big book. It was different reading it digitally because the pages were kind of smaller, but Uh yeah. So let keep in touch. Let us know uh, when the audio book comes out and we'll, and we'll talk about it. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. It's been a real pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you so much for hosting this. Okay. Okay. Have a good night. Thank you. Bye. And that was a chat with Michael Ronan. What'd you think, buddy? Yeah, that was good. Yeah. I wanted to get into a little bit about, uh, I just felt like it was a good, Good spot to end, though, you know, but um, he does give advice to to men getting into relationships very cautiously. Like he's, he sees, all, I think, a lot of what's happening with men in relationships right now and a lot of them aren't working out. And what are you laughing at? <laughs> I'm just <laughs> fighting with the troll in the chats. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It's fun. That's okay. Yeah. What are the address to come your, fight me? At your mom's. <laughs> You're putting mom jokes in the chats? Always. Oh, boy. Who's f- coming to fight you? Speak, I don't know, the DeLorean. Why? Why? I don't know. He seems, he seems angry. Uh, speaking of moms, how's your mom? Is it righteous anger? Uh, she's pretty good, I guess. Yeah, she'll be finding out more about her cancer on Thursday, I think. So. Finally? Yeah. Finally gets yeah. to meet? Yeah, finally gets to talk Canadian to the Canadian healthcare, baby. Yeah. 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 Well. Yeah, but no, it was good. I think it was... Uh, Good book and a good chat. It was a good chat. We were his yeah. first time, right? Oh, I don't know about that. No. Yeah. I thought we were his first. That's why I was nervous. Oh, uh, no, I just, I don't think he does it very often, but. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. hopefully this one will But anyways, up. the book's got a lot of advice for men. Like we didn't even get into like the specific advice for men and dating and relationships and uh, the divine union. It gets into a lot of the relationships, uh, the different types very spiritual ones as well. And, and it's just, I don't know. It's a well-rounded book. I like it. Very nuanced. Did you get a hard copy of it or just digital? Just digital. We should get a hard copy for the studio. For I just sure. bought some books today. 
All right. Yeah, we're building up quite the library. It'll That's be good the when only they, place I wear my mask now. Yeah, I know. Ferris Fair won't let me in there. They're terrible. They're, they're just they're like, so, oh my God, they're so scared. Yeah. Yeah. But I went in there. It's a gold mine for books. I just can't give it up. Yeah. I, I mean, I could pick out the books and they'd bring them outside, but I just like to look around. Yeah, yeah. I really like I mean. to look around yeah. there. So I, I go in there with the shield. They don't bug me with the shield. No, no. They started. When was the last time we were in there? Uh, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, last time I went in there with the shield, she was like, hey, just play along. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah, we talked about that. So, yeah. Uh, big thanks to Mike for coming on the show. Uh, big thanks to you guys for listening. Head over to grimerica.ca slash support if you're getting some value from these shows and uh, you want to throw a little value back our way. Uh, sign up for a monthly, make a one-time donation, any of that fabulous sort of stuff. Head uh, over to the show notes, do all the stuff in there. There's a bunch of ways to help out the show that don't cost you nothing. You can share the show, review the yeah. show, uh, sign up for the newsletter. I don't know what else. Maybe you could like follow us on Facebook review. before we get oh, kicked did you off. Say review, yeah. I said review. Yeah, join the chats. Join the chats. Grimerica.ca slash chats. Get some shirts and shit over at grimerica.ca slash swag. Some audiobooks. This is a social network. Grimerica.ca slash social. Our self-hosted social network that doesn't have any algos. And there's the audiobooks over at adultbrain.ca. Use your adult brain. Hey, speaking of that, I seen uh, Weiss was on Union of the One. Yeah, there you go. The flat earth. I have, uh, we have him to thank for our company name. There you go. Yeah. Uh, I think that's about it. We love you guys. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next week. I sat on the wall. I could see it all. Trickery was afoot. Evil was at its root. The people were scatter plots. Not many could connect the dots. Some people stood tall. In spite of their righteous voices made small. Put down your phone. Your soul's turned. The rhythm of the algorithm has driven a schism, created this prison. I'm shocked and appalled at the technocracy's gone. Pulling strings of marionettes, setting traps in cybernets. Infinite scroll as addictive as cigarettes. Cat videos for freedom of the press. People that stand tall. In spite of our righteous voices made small. Put down your phone. Your souls turn to stone. The rhythm of the algorithm has driven a schism, created this prison. Double click on install. Rome's about to fall. This hard drive is corrupted, and our minds have been abducted by a silicon dream so seductive. 
When yelling at bots becomes unproductive People, we need to stand tall In spite of our righteous voices made small Put down your phone Your souls turn to stone The rhythm of the algorithm has driven a schism, created this prison.